Welcome aboard to the Great Movie Podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Becca. And we'll be your guides through this magical journey into the movies. Please keep all arms, hands, feet, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. And don't forget to supervise your children. So today, if you listened to our previous episode on Snow White, you will have already known this. But today we're going to be talking about Onward. Um, So it worked out kind of funny that we got to record the first ever Disney movie and then the most recent Disney movie as of date of recording. Um, The next movie is coming out pretty soon, though. It's coming. It's dropping on Disney Plus free for anybody who has a subscription, not the Disney Plus Prime or Premiere or whatever Mulan did on Christmas Day, which is Soul. And I'm super excited for that one. Um, But yeah, we're going to be talking about Onward today. Yeah, so soon Onward won't even be the newest. But today, as Katie mentioned, it's the latest and greatest question mark. Stay tuned to find out uh, Pixar movie. So as as we mentioned at the end of our Snow White episode, obviously this is going to be a, a very, very, very different kind of episode from our Snow White. As opposed to Snow White, you know, the, the first movie has such a long history and legacy and achievement and all this stuff. Obviously Onward, you know, not to say Onward isn't a great achievement and doesn't have history, but obviously, um, you know, set, uh, six or seven months eight months, whatever it is, is a lot different from 80 plus years. So yeah. First, we're gonna talk a little bit about mousekeeping. So mousekeeping (laughs) is our housekeeping section of the podcast, just some general announcements and and fun facts and stuff for you guys. So just a general announcement, episodes are going to be released once a month. We were initially planning on maybe doing every other week or two to three times a month with um our current special schedules especially mine that's just not going to be possible at the moment so our schedule may change stay tuned to our mousekeeping section for more announcements about that in the future but as of right now we're going to shoot for the third to fourth thursday of the month for episode releases and also we're now on apple podcasts so please 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 uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. We would very much appreciate it. And then our last fun announcement, unless Katie has anything to add and I'll let her do that. Uh, but we taught. I was inspired by our Snow White episode when I talked about what music from Snow White I would include on a Disney playlist. So I've created a great movie podcast playlist that is on Spotify. So anytime we say something is Disney playlist approved, I'm going to add it to the playlist. So obviously right now there's not a ton on there, but I thought it would be a fun, um, you know, maybe by 10 or 20 movies, we'll have like a really cool, fun Disney pod or playlist of music that is our favorite from them. So anything to add? Yeah, I really like that. Um, not that I can think of at the moment, just pertaining to the podcast. Yeah. So that's it for mousekeeping. Yeah, so let's dive into the fact file. So, um, the source of most of this information is coming from IMDb. It was released on March 6th of 2020, so really a on the cusp of everything shutting down. So I think it was in theaters for like maybe a week 
Yeah, I maybe two weeks. I don't remember when exactly movie theaters kind of shut down. I thought it was two weeks or more, but looking at this date, I think it's more likely that it was one week. I mean, obviously it depends on what part of the country you were in. I think it was a little bit different, but yeah, <laughs> the date I always remember, um, unfortunately, <laughs> is my birthday. Uh, my birthday is March thirteenth, and that's kind of, that was a Friday this year, also. So Friday the thirteenth, yeah, um, was kind of the day more or less everything shut down you know give you know give or take a couple days you know plus or minus so like some things shut down Thursday some things shut down um Saturday some waited until like Monday or Tuesday of the next week so like the 16th or 17th but right around March 13th so yeah that would have that would have meant like not quite two weeks in actual theaters so yeah fun times um and then kind of the top build actors in this movie are Tom Holland, who plays Ian, uh, Chris Pratt, who plays Barley, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who played their mother, Laurel. And um, just kind of fun fact about her, this is her third time she's um, lent her voice to a Pixar movie. She was in um, Bugs Life and Planes. And then Octavia Spencer played Corey, and she has also appeared in a Disney movie before, and she was in Zootopia. Yeah. They're uh, reusing their favorites. Yeah. Well, okay, so maybe this isn't a super relevant conversation, but I feel like I've seen some stuff online about how maybe production companies and directors and casting directors or whatever, I don't, like, people don't seem super thrilled that they're using big name, big box actors Mm. to voice act animated movies because it is such a different type of acting and there are specific people who are voice actors yeah um so I don't know I've just like seen some stuff and like every all five of those people are like very big name actors and I guess Disney does kind of tend to lean towards big name actors a lot of times um yeah yeah I don't know I've just like seen some stuff about that online especially with like casting some like famous tiktokers to voice characters in animated movies what like is the yeah um so i don't know i just thought that was super interesting because i've never thought about that before but there are people who are just voice actors who yeah maybe are better equipped to do some of these roles yeah it uh that ties back into kind of what we started talking about in snow white how back then they were voice actors were really not ever any crossover at all and I think you're right Disney especially tends to use uh big name non-voice actors especially for the bigger roles and I think Onward is a really big example of that the four Mm -hmm. main characters none of those are voice actors really yeah they're all a-list celebrity actors um So it's interesting. Not saying that they didn't do a good job right. or that, like, celebrity actors are not capable of voice acting as well, but it's just interesting to think about. I think I think there is a point to be made because I see both sides of it. I think that it can maybe take away from voice actors' opportunities, but at the same time, I understand the business decision behind wanting A-list recognizable actors being the main characters, plus, like, Unlike Snow White, Onward has so many background characters and some of them are, you know, maybe not as big names as like Tom Holland or Chris Pratt, but 
some of them are, you know, also non-voice actors or actors that, you know, do both voice work and non-voice acting. So I think that there's just more opportunities in a movie like Onward total, just like the number of voice of speaking characters. So you can kind of have both in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, Then getting back on track, the director (laughs) of this movie um, was Dan Scanlon, and he has previously directed Monsters University. Um, So they tend to reuse a lot of Pixar directors. Very Mm. rarely is it a new one. And even if it is their Pixar directing debut, normally they've worked with Pixar before then. From the beginning, Um, a lot of the time. Yeah, like the, the first... I mean, the first couple of Pixar movies were basically done by, like, the same five people, honestly. Yeah. Um, but it's so, interesting yeah. because I, Dan, you know, I, not that I'm a huge, huge, like, Pixar historian or whatever, but there's definitely a couple recognizable names that, for me anyway, like, bes- even besides John Laster, like, Pete Docter is the one yeah. that I think of off the top of my head, but there's definitely a couple more I would at least recognize the names of, but Dan Scanlon is not one of those names, so I thought it was interesting, and that's why I had to put in there that he directed Monsters University, because I was like, I don't know what else he's done, so. Yeah, and I mean, I'd say that, I mean, obviously we'll talk about Monsters University later, but I think that that is kind of an underrated, especially Pixar movie. Oh, interesting. There's my take. All right, so next we're going to talk, keeping on with the fact file, we'll talk about budget and box office. Again, these are numbers mostly pulled from IMDb, uh, but I did have to get the budget from Screen Rant because I couldn't find it on IMDb. So Screen Rant estimated that the budget was $200 Um, and then from IMDb, they said the opening weekend, the movie made just over $39 million, and they put the cumulative worldwide gross at $141 million. I'm not sure when that was last updated, but I assume obviously more recently than just opening weekend. And again, this movie being so coming out at such a strange time, um, unprecedented, some might say. <laughs> um, I don't know how they calculated that $141 million if they're taking into account, like, Disney Plus subscriptions. But anyway, um, it looks like it hasn't made back its budget, which honestly is not very surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am i don't remember the exact dates, but I'm pretty sure it dropped on Disney Plus, like, pretty quickly after theaters had been closed for a little bit. Um, I think it was pretty quickly, but it also wasn't right away because... No, I think it was like a month or two, maybe. It was April, It was definitely, I think, April something because one of the videos I watched about Onward, the person had not seen it in theaters, but also not watched it on Disney+. Plus. They said they paid for it on Amazon. So there was definitely an in-between period where... You couldn't go to theaters, but it wasn't on Disney Plus yet. But it also wasn't that long. If I remember correctly, it was sometime mid to late April. Yeah, I'd even say early April because I think oh, could that be. it was, I think, because um, I left from Florida from my internship kind of like early to mid-April. And I'm pretty sure it came out like the day I drove back to North Carolina or like the day before because I was like, I'm just going to watch it when I get back up to oh, North yeah. Carolina. It could be. So right around there. Yeah. I, for some reason, had April 24th in my head, but it definitely could have been, like, mm. April 4th or something like that. So um, sorry about that. I'm not fact-checking that, so. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm Googling it right oh! now. Oh! <laughs> Katie is. Uh, while Katie Googles that, uh, 
a new thing I wanted to include in the fact file, you know, as this is an extremely new podcast, we may evolve a little bit, especially in these first couple episodes. But I thought it'd be fun to talk about the Rotten Tomato score, as well as any awards or nominations the movie has received. So on Rotten Tomatoes, the um, I'm not using the audience score, I'm using the, I guess, critics score um, Critic, yeah. is 88%. So that's pretty good. Uh, compared that to Snow White, because just because we didn't mention it, Snow White I think is ninety seven. So, but you know, Snow White is also it just comes with more prestige when you say Snow White, right? Snow White is a is a very you know as we beat to death in that episode a very you know historically important movie. So yeah, and then obviously for awards and nominations since it came out uh, in twenty twenty, it's eligible for the uh, award season. Uh, coming up starting I guess in what award season starts in January or something like that December Yeah. nominations come out because the Oscars is usually February or March or something so basically hasn't had a chance to be awarded anything and nominations haven't come out for this year so none yet it will be nominated for best animated yeah I mean there's I think they get five picks and basically any Disney. Two of them are a Disney Pixar. Disney and Pixar are like least. guaranteed to be nominated pretty much. Not They don't always win, of course. I mean, they do a yeah. lot of the times, but they don't always win. So so what's the also, verdict? April 3rd. Okay. So it was pretty early April. Okay, cool. Um, and then similarly to the awards and nominations, <laughs> there are no sequels, remakes, or spinoffs for this yet. Um... I don't know if there will be, honestly. I think that just because of the weird time it came out, yeah. like, they can't really gauge the audience. Yeah. Um, and, like, how much they love these characters and this story. And I don't think it was super, like, hyped up. Like, I didn't really hear much about it. And I think it, I don't think it has a whole lot to do with the actual movie itself. I think it was honestly just the time that it came out in. It was just a very unfortunate time because. If it had come out post everything shutting down, they could have done something something similar to what they're doing with Soul, um, kind of hype up the release for that. But with this, since it was kind of like stunted and then put on hold and then put on Disney Plus, it was just kind of the whole release process and people seeing it for the first time was dragged out way longer than a normal Disney movie is. Like normally people who watch Disney movies who love them have probably seen it within the first two weeks of it coming out. And that's a pretty easy way to like judge audience perception of the movie but with this since it was just so odd and weird I don't know if it really got much hype the other thing is um you know this category obviously is for Disney and Pixar movies Pixar as compared to Disney doesn't really do tv shows you know we got a lot of them for like the 90s movies and even today like the Tangled tv show the big Hero 6 tv show Pixar doesn't really have those they obviously do have sequels though right oh yeah come with sweet i was gonna i was just gonna say though they also don't do the live action remakes like there's not hasn't been a live action pixar remake again because they're newer like the first movie came out in you know with toy story so like there's not as much time there's not as many of them so even within pixar there's obviously they do a lot of sequels and some of them have multiple multiple sequels but there's just less opportunity in those like remakes spinoffs tv shows like pixar doesn't really do that so there's also yeah, can you imagine a live action toy story like... no oh my god what <laughs> it wouldn't be live action again that's like another problem i have like some of the 
quote unquote live Lion action. King? Disney movies are not live action. Jungle Book. Lion King is animated. Yeah. Jungle Book has at least a person. Okay, but one person. Pretty much. Pretty much just one person. So anyway, just just the point of like Pixar also has less of an opportunity because they don't do all of those other things. Just basically yeah. the sequels. So. so moving on in the fact file to story origin slash the story of the making of the movie. Obviously Pixar is going to be a little bit different from Disney because most of their stories are original stories not based off of fairy tales or books like a lot of Disney movies are going to be. So again this um, Onward is no different from that. It's also an original story but it does have a cool kind of history. Um, It's based pretty directly on the director Dan Scanlon's own life experiences. His own father actually passed away when he was only one year old and his brother was three years old. Um, So basically the character of Ian is kind of a representation of him and his life experiences at, as, as a teenager. So because of this, he was always left wondering who his father was as a person and if at all and how he was similar to his father, kind of as we see Ian is in the movie. Um, and then when he and his brother were teenagers, a relative of, of Dan's found a tape recording of his father that basically allowed him to hear his father's voice for the first time. So obviously we can see like huge parallels um, in the basic story and plot of the movie to his own life. Obviously not in a fantastical world, but the whole family dynamic element of the story pretty directly um, autobiographical of the director. So Yeah, I love that. I think it's so cool. I think that, like, it's a very creative way to tell a story like this, but when you learn that the director, like, actually basically went through that, it's just wild. Yeah. All right, so that's it for our fact file. Next, we're going to talk about personal connections. Again, just to reiterate, (laughs) some of this stuff is going to be pretty different from a lot of the movies, especially ones that have been around for a while. So mostly I think Katie and myself are going to talk about um, kind of the announcement of the movie because we knew about Onward obviously for a while. Disney and Pixar announced movies pretty early. So I was pretty Mm -hmm. excited when I first saw the announcement as I am when I hear about most new Disney and Pixar movies. Um, But I think I've mentioned this. I don't really like to watch trailers in general. That's just like my personal philosophy. I think a lot of them are very spoilery and people analyze them to death and it takes away personally for me watching the movie I like to go in almost blind so I didn't really watch a lot of the trailers I maybe watched one of them especially when um unfortunately when I go to movies in the theater to watch them and they play all the trailers that's kind of hard to avoid but I try to avoid watching them like on on my own time like if I see them tweeted or something like that um so I think I did see uh one of the trailers when I went to see Rise of Skywalker in theaters um but this was kind of a weird one I got kind of less and less excited about the movie over time and I actually was not planning on seeing it in theaters I'm not sure why like maybe it would have helped if I had seen more of the trailers but I just like like I was excited about the concept and the idea of the movie but I don't know I just got distracted with other stuff and I never really was like oh I have to see this in theaters like opening weekend I was like oh maybe I'll see it if I have time I also just don't go 
to the movie theater a ton. Like, typically, I only go for new Star Wars movies, new Marvel movies, new Disney movies. And even with Disney and Pixar, like, I've kind of fallen off that in recent years. Like, I didn't see Toy Story 4 in theaters. I waited for that to come out. So, anyway, that's my personal connection. I don't really have anything else. It's kind of hard to have a really strong personal connection to something that's, like, less than a year old. <laughs> Unless, like, you resonated with it immediately and I didn't. So... Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple things to say specifically about the Onward trailers and why I think you might have lost interest in the story. So I think that one of the things that Onward, you could arguably say did really well slash did really poorly, depending on how you look at it, is the trailers gave away nothing of the plot of the story. All of the trailers were setting up the world that the story was going to happen in. Like, a lot of the trailers were of the mind of that beginning montage of, like, there was once, like, there was once magic in the world. Mm -hmm. And now, like, technology's taken over. A lot of it, like, the troll bridge, like, the troll flipping signs at, like, in front of a supermarket. That was kind of the tech that the trailers took on. And they, they didn't give us basically anything about the actual story that was going to be taking place in this universe. So why I say you could say that was a good thing or a bad thing is it didn't give anything away really about the movie. We got very little. I think one of the few things we got was like Barley being like, we're going on an adventure, you know? And then, but you could argue that it didn't do it super well because it very poorly hyped up people to want to watch the story because we didn't know what the story was about. Mm if that makes sense. Um, that's just my take on the Onward trailers. So the reason I know so much about the Onward trailers is about two years ago, I got super hard into YouTube. I had never been a YouTube person before, like, but now I watch YouTube. Like, I, I watch YouTubers. I subscribe to YouTube channels. And one of the first ones that I got really interested in was the Super Carlin Bros channel because it's like it's it's like it's perfectly made for me. Harry Potter and Disney <laughs> are like pretty much the things that they talk about. Pixar, especially within Disney. And then under the Disney umbrella now, they talk about Marvel and Star Wars, kind of just when those movies come out. But week to week, it's mostly Harry Potter and Disney and Pixar. So right around two years was kind of leading up to Onward. Like when the announcement came out, when we got the first artwork, when we got the first trailers. And so they do kind of trailer breakdowns. They do artwork. They kind of talk about the artwork. They talk about the announcement. Um, and they talk about what possibly could happen in the story and kind of make predictions. And I am the complete opposite of Rebecca. <laughs> like if I could read the movie description, the plot, description before I watch a movie I would be happier honestly I've never watched a season of the bachelor bachelorette without being spoiled I just I don't know I know that some people are like you're crazy how can you do that but it's just I I would really I like to go knowing what's gonna happen I like to go and knowing what's quick gonna question happen. do you also read the ending of a book before you read it no I don't do that okay no, don't that, that would be I mean, obviously. Because I feel like with that, you just have so little context most of the time. Sure. I guess maybe if I'm halfway through the book and then read the end, it's like, okay, maybe I could understand who these characters are. But at the beginning, like, you don't know what was going to happen. I obviously am the complete opposite. I think my sister is crazy. I do everything in my power to avoid spoilers for anything. 
ever. So anyway, just different personal philosophies and that's fine. Yes, I do sometimes have self-control. Like, I did not spoil myself before Endgame. I'm not quite that big of a monster, guys. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, it did take some, like... I almost did a couple times. Like, I'm not going to lie. It takes. But I think part of the reason I didn't do that is because I watched so many theory videos, so many trailer breakdowns leading up to that, that I was, like, pretty confident in some big things. Anyways. Um, but, yeah. So, this was kind of one of the first, the first Disney Pixar movie that I kind of followed through that whole process of, like, being super into the trailers, being super into the announcement, kind of getting into the nitty gritty of like trying to predict what's going to happen. And so I was super excited for Onward. And then like, I was planning on going to see it in theaters. Um, I went to the last day that Disney World was open. And I was like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go or not tomorrow, I think two days from then I was going to go and see in theaters with my aunt. And then the day after I went to Disney, I started to feel really guilty about going. There were people on the internet like, these crazy people going to Disney, like, do you know it's a pandemic and all this stuff? And so I was like, no, I'm not going to go see in theaters. And then that break in between, I think, kind of like dampened down my excitement. But I did watch it on Disney Plus when I got home, like I just talked about. Um, and yeah, so like, it's kind of weird because I have a super like, like it this movie meant a lot to me but almost it meant more to me before I saw it than after I saw it mm. just kind of the journey I went on with it that makes sense but yeah all right so the next section is where we would normally talk about what's in our quote book called out a little magic but obviously since that came out in 1999 and it's just disney there's no quotes so i thought what i'd do instead is pick what quotes i think would be included in the quote book so these are the ones that i think would fit best uh, again kind of just like cute little short life lessons for children so the first one is remember on a quest you have to use what you've got and barley says that um, and then one of my favorite quotes from the movie is, you'll never be ready, just merge. Barley says that. And then um, he also, most of these are Barley. He has some really good life lessons distilled down into yeah. short quotes in this movie. He says, believe with every step. I think that is, definitely would be in this book, 100%. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, and again, I think Barley says this earlier, but I just included it because I didn't want every quote to come from Barley. But Ian says, on a quest, the clear path is never the right one. So there's That's giving me some major um, Grandmother Willow vibes. Doesn't she have a quote like that in Pocahontas where it's yeah, like, the right path the is easy, never the easiest one. The or, easiest. Or, yeah, it's literally basically that quote. So, and I'm pretty sure that quote is in the book. So I stand behind the fact that I think all these quotes would be perfect. Maybe we'll come yeah. up. Maybe we will pitch to Disney a second mm -hmm. edition of Add a Little Magic. And yeah. these are my submissions for Onward. Yeah, they are really good. And I think... Barley kind of says all of these in like a very tongue-in-cheek isn't the right phrase but very much like in a dramatic like because we're on a quest but when yeah. you like read them like you just did it's like oh no that's like life advice right it's great life <laughs> advice this movie has some great life advice I actually decided that, um to do this section instead because one of the uh ideas we had for the arbitrary rating category which stay mm -hmm. tuned to find out what it actually is was life advice from the movie and I was like oh wait no these are just quotes that would be great to include in the quote section so yeah 
Um, so the next section is, do we have the VHS of it? Do we have the DVD of it? Do we have any merch? <laughs> and the answer to all three of those questions is no. We don't have the VHS of it because I doubt there's a VHS of Onward that you can find anywhere. Um, we don't have a DVD of it because Disney+. Plus. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about merch later. There is Onward merch that you can buy, but I just did not buy any of it on my last trip to Disney. Is there even a DVD yet either, though? I don't know. I have zero I feel idea. like yes. I feel like yes. I feel like I've seen that at Target before. Okay. Well, it just usually takes quite a bit. Like, maybe it would just be coming out if it had been in theaters the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I wonder if they, like, when theaters shut down, they're like, let's just start making the DVD of it, you know, instead of waiting. Could be, but also the, the Disney Plus thing makes it moot, so... All right, so our next section is going to be just like first overall overall impressions. And normally we would talk about if it's an older movie that we haven't watched in a while, like things we forgot that are notable. Obviously with this one, there's going to be a little bit less of that. But I do have a couple things that it literally took me my fourth watch to find out. So uh, Katie can tell you how many times she watched it. But I initially watched it when it first dropped in April, like the first week or two that it dropped on Disney+. Plus. And then I didn't watch it again until prepping for this episode. I watched it about a month ago, kind of right after we picked it and recorded Snow White. And then I watched it twice recently. I watched it last night and I watched it this morning. So, but I, there are a couple things that it took me my fourth watch to, to pick up on. So obviously my first impression, like, um, I feel like my dad would really like this movie slash that he does like this movie just because there's a ton of D&D references um, and I even know that and I don't really know that much about D&D but my dad is really into it so that was kind of like my first thing that I noticed about the movie and then just like I want to talk about more of this when we do our ratings but in general I like the movie but I don't feel a strong personal connection to the story and I don't think it's a bad story or a bad movie or like the wrong story to tell it's just not really my personal taste um I'm going to expand on that later I don't yeah I don't really have anything else I don't know um so kind of just along with what Rebecca said this story didn't resonate with me super well I really I mean, I enjoyed watching it, um, and I don't know, like, not that I didn't connect to the characters, because I really like all of the characters, I just don't think that I super connected to the story, um, I don't have a whole lot to relate to Eden and Barley's situation, both of our parents are alive, um, and I don't know, like, Obviously, we're also not brothers. I know that, like, sibling relationships can, like, span across sister relationships and brother relationships. Like, boys can see their brother relationship within Elsa and Anna, you know? But I just don't see a relationship between, like, Ian and Barley and my sibling dynamic as well. So I didn't really super connect with that either. Um, So I just don't think the story and the meaning related to my life a whole lot but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy it it just didn't resonate with me as much as some of the other Pixar movies have done in the past um then just some things that kind of like annoyed me throughout the movie watching it the so I watched it in April when it first came out and then I watched it 
like I think two nights ago and then I watched it last night as well and I think that's something that I didn't when I went to watch it after like two days in a row the second day I was like oh my god this movie's so long like I don't want to watch it and I looked at it and the runtime is like an hour and 45 minutes like it's really not that long but it feels very long because I think it's one of those movies and I dislike this where just like everything that could go wrong does go wrong within the movie and I don't know if I love that um and there are moments where Barley really annoys me and I think that makes me makes the movie drag on a little bit because he does things that are unnecessary that make things go wrong and then it the first time I watched it I was like kind of salty that Ian didn't get that moment with his dad which I think after watching again I was more at peace with that decision but the first time you watch it you're like you're hyped up like Ian is the main character like you watch his struggle with wanting to meet his dad too much and the list of things he wants to do with his dad and like how he's so close the whole movie but isn't quite able to do it and then he doesn't even get it at the end and then I will say one thing I really liked about it is that I loved that Barley was never resentful of Ian the, and the fact that he could do magic and Barley could not, even though that Barley was the one who loved the quests of yore, loved magic, loved the whole history of the planet that they lived on. And I just loved how supportive he was of Ian. I think that was a super interesting choice for the storytellers to make because they could have so easily made Barley. Like, even if he acted super supportive but then kind of when they had a heart to heart he's like you know it's really hard for me to have you have the magic and me not to be able to have do the do the magic um but I just I really love that decision that they made yeah I have some of these same or similar points in my uh character section when we break down the movie further but I totally agree with the Barley not being resentful of Ian and also my least favorite thing about the movie on the first watch and what turned me off so hard I think and why I initially had like very lukewarm feelings to it was the fact that Ian doesn't meet his dad in the end like that really turned me off now that I've watched it a couple times and I watched a couple videos breaking down the movie and like I understand why they made that choice I am definitely I agree with you more at peace in it but I think it's funny that Barley annoys you because I can see why he's annoying and I understand it. I understand why people think he's annoying, but I find Ian more annoying. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I feel like I related with Ian so much. I relate it. That's the other thing. I relate with both of them on different things. I mm. There's some things I super relate with Ian on and some things I super relate with Barley on, but I also find Ian more annoying and I'm more upset with some of the decisions he made and some of the things he did than I am upset with Barley so I think that's interesting Mm -hmm. I also I'm glad you talked about the sibling dynamic because I really wanted to ask you what you thought about it if you you know um I know we ask people to guess but I think it's obvious by now that I'm the older sister and Katie's the younger sister I wanted to ask you if you uh thought that our sibling dynamic was like that in any way it's also different because we have a brother as well so there's not just two of us there's three of us but I was gonna say I feel like Barley reminds me more of David oh interesting (laughs) he's he's our youngest sibling um 
And so that also kind of like flip-flops it and makes it less relatable because I think that a lot of the dynamic comes from the older sibling kind of being, not being there for Ian, how Ian thinks he should be, and then coming to realize that he was actually there for him the whole time. Right, so that's the whole point of the movie, right? Uh, Barley is the surrogate father figure, so Ian doesn't need to meet his dad because he has a father figure in his life. Yeah, okay, so super quickly, just because it's super related to what we're talking about, I talked about the Super Carlin Bros already. Um, I rewatched their their movie review because I like to watch their movie reviews because I think that it gives me an outlet to discuss the movie, even though I'm not like <laughs> with them. But it helps me get a handle on how I feel because when they say something, I can be like, "Oh yeah, that's what that's like what I'm thinking in my head, but can't put words into." But when the, it also kind of works the opposite way, if they say something that I super disagree with, that helps me like form my own opinions, if that makes sense. So I rewatched part of their video. I didn't get all the way through it before this, and one of the things that they mentioned that I thought was super interesting was that kind of like throughout the movie we see that Barley is quote-unquote on paper the screw-up and Ian is the kid who like he goes to school he gets the good grades but he's maybe like a little bit more shy and timid and they brought up the fact that like Ian doesn't really see the effects of not having a father in his life because Barley was that father figure for him and he had the whole family but Barley because he does come off as kind of the more screw-up, he's the kid that you can see the effects of him not having a father to look up to because there was nobody... Like, obviously, they had Laurel. Like, I'm not going to discount single mothers. Like, she did a great job raising them. Like, I'm not going to say any differently. But you can... I think the effect of not having a parent, you can see a little bit more closely in Barley than you can see in Ian because Ian had Barley. So I thought that... They, like, brought that up, and I was like, wow. That's, like, really interesting. I never thought of it like that. That's a really good point. I like that a lot. This is going off on a tangent, but I did include stuff that I thought was really funny or that I didn't notice the first couple times until I either watched, like, a a YouTube video breakdown or watched it again. Barley has a cast on his arm. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noticed that the first time, and I was like, this is so odd because it never comes into play. Like, there's never any explanation. I think it just adds to, like, his like not put together yeah I don't, I don't know why I didn't notice it maybe because he's wearing like a, a cuff or something on his other wrist and I thought that's yeah. what it was but I was watching something the other day and I was like oh my god why does he have a cast on also it's very odd he and Corey and maybe other characters have tattoos is this the first yeah, I wanted I feel like no. I feel like there had to have been some like goofy like heart with an arrow through it on oh, some guy's bicep before yeah. in a picture, or like a mom with a heart. There, you know, that, I think some of the pirates in Peter Pan, but I meant Pixar. I wonder if it's mm. the first. Unless I wonder Brave? if Sid has any or something. Or Brave? Mm. Do they have any? Well, they have like blue face. Okay, I, w- I don't know. If they I wasn't tattoos. sure if they had any Pocahontas has a tattoo. Right, too. but again, that's Disney. So anyway, I just yeah. thought it was funny, like that, um, and that you might like that K tattoo representation. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love that they say the movie title in the movie. Oh, like, is it isn't that. that always just a great moment? Like they said it. They said the movie title. They did the thing. Yeah, I also feel like sometimes it's kind of cheesy. Like, I feel like people kind of ripped on Solo when they when he was, oh. like, 
you, I just feel like that was kind of a cheesy way to like incorporate that name number one in the movie title. But I think that this was just so, it was so barley to have mm-hmm. like an O over the G and have it be onward instead of drive. And like he would for sure be like, put it in O for onward. Like I just think that fits his like personality so well and I loved it. I, I think it makes the movie the movie title mean more Mm. whereas i feel like sometimes when they say the movie title it makes it mean less i was gonna ask about that because people have ripped disney and pixar recently for some of their movie titles how do you feel about the movie title onward i really like it because i think that it fits this vibe of like the quest and the magic because like onward isn't a word that you use super often Mm -hmm. to like indicate moving forward but then that's also kind of the theme of like the the society that they live in moved forward they they kept moving forward (laughs) um they got technology and that's how they ended up there and but barley and ian kind of moved it further onward by going backwards and kind of incorporating the magic with the technology that we see at the end i think it was also a lot of Ian moving onward past his father and being able to come to terms with that and his relationship with Barley and Barley kind of getting that moment with his father that we see in his fourth memory that he really needed to move onward. Agree. I didn't have any strong feelings, but I think you've convinced me. So good job. Thank you. All right, next we're going to talk about trivia. So I've, again, we're not going to go overboard on this and going to try not to just, you know, read IMDb trivia. But I have a couple general things. And again, I mostly pick these because they're things that I like and I find interesting and I hope that you do as well. Um, One thing I learned is that Tom Holland is actually the oldest sibling and Chris Pratt is actually the youngest sibling. So I think it's funny that we talked about sibling dynamic. Yeah, and we talked about sibling dynamic a bit already, but... In the movie, it's also switched, so I thought that was funny. Um, yeah. And then just one of my favorite, I guess this is more of an Easter egg, but I have it in general trivia. Obviously, with Pixar movies, we know the background and Easter egg and kind of little things you can pick out are you have are so rich. There's so much to choose from. But one of my favorite things that the Pixar designers uh, slipped in there is that if you look closely when they're in the kitchen, there's a bottle of dish soap by the sink and the brand name is Aurora. And I think this is so great because not only is it a reference to, you know, Disney, like Princess Aurora, but Aurora means dawn and the movie says that. And so it's like dawn dish soap and like, oh my God, I thought that was so clever. Yeah, um, that's really cool. And then just a couple other like connection type things. So obviously with it being kind of a uh, high fantasy Um, There's a lot of connections and allusions to Lord of the Rings kind of throughout the movies. My personal favorite one is the um, fast food restaurant that Barley goes to, sorry, Ian goes to breakfast before he goes to school. It's called Burgershire. And the sign says now serving second breakfast. So that made my Lord of the Rings love very happy. The other uh, quick thing for Lord of the Rings is that in Barley's van, there's a sign that says you shall not pass kind of on the side Mm. of the van on the interior. So that was really cute as well. And then a couple Marvel connections, because obviously in a movie starring Chris Pratt and Tom Holland, you couldn't get away from any uh, Marvel connections. So uh, Barley puts Ian in a headlock and a lot of people have compared this to 
um, when Star Lord puts Spider Man in a headlock in what is it in Infinity War or Endgame? Yeah, probably it was Infinity War because they both dust. So they're right, gone right. For most you're right. Time. Okay, and then the claw game that you can see in the background of two scenes is the actual Infinity Gauntlet glove. Um, so that's really fun. And then my favorite that some people have come up with this theory that the Phoenix Gem is actually a close parallel a parallel to the Soul Stone from Marvel because they're both orange and they also both deal with sacrifice. Uh, you know, the Soul Stone you have to sacrifice, and we see. Barley sacrificed Guinevere for in order to ultimately yeah, reach and like the... Ian sacrifices his moment with his dad to that right. barley can, and it also it deals that. with like bringing people back, like the soul kind of thing. So anyway, I thought that was yeah. really interesting, and I don't know if it was intended, but it's just kind of very coincidental if it's not. Yeah. Um. Speaking of phoenixes, so you don't see this as much because we don't see barley from behind a whole lot but he's his jean jacket is covered in patches and he's got this huge patch on his back of a phoenix and so another thing that super carlin bros mentioned is that kind of it resembles that barley is the like reincarnate of their father for ian like he was born from the father's ashes and became that father figure for ian kind of like a phoenix is born from the ashes or reborn I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but moving on to a little bit more trivia. So some firsts about this movie. Um, this was the first Disney movie to be released for digital download while still in theaters. Um, I don't think they had planned that, but it was the times. And then it was also the fixed first Pixar movie without any involvement from John Lasseter, which I didn't know and find very interesting that I, what I find more interesting about this is that John Lasseter has been involved in every other Pixar movie besides Onward. <laughs> well, he was the director, like the CEO of Pixar. True. So I think maybe yeah. it just means, it doesn't mean direct involvement, just like since he's left Pixar maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes more sense. Um, And then by the numbers, it is the 22nd Pixar film, which seems like so many i feel like i always think of pixar as having like eight movies but half of them are sequels (laughs) but there's just so many sequels yeah (laughs) that is the catch for that and then just some fun easter eggs especially for pixar movies like rebecca already mentioned we can't go without mentioning where a113 is or a113 i don't i always say a113 um or where the pizza planet truck is because we know that those are always in the Pixar movies. Also, with Pixar movies, there's always an Easter egg for the next movie in it. Um, So it'll be interesting once we see Soul, um, what Easter egg was in Onward to represent Soul. So A113 was actually said aloud in this. It was towards the end. We can hear on a police radio saying, we've got a 113 in progress which i find really cool and then um and the pizza planet truck is actually a pizza realm truck and it's in the background on the highway when ian and barley are headed to the manticore's tavern and they go through a toll it's kind of just in another lane by them um and then 
Another thing that is all Pixar movies is John Ratzenberger makes a voice appearance in every movie. And in this one, he plays the construction worker towards the end, kind of when Ian leaves Barley and Barley's still trying to like figure out where the Phoenix gem is when they get to like the well or whatever. Um, he's the construction worker that's like trying to pull him away and that he's always, um, that like mentions that like, oh, like get over it, you know, that kind of thing. And then the last one, which I love this Easter egg, and I think it's becoming a lot more common. So there is triple dent gum in the gas station um, when Ian and Barley go into the gas station to pay for the gas and then get the cheese pops or whatever, cheese puffs. Um, and I think that this is not the first mention of triple dent gum since, since Inside Out. So I wonder if that's kind of becoming a more common Easter egg that will be in a lot of Pixar movies from here on out. Yeah, even if it's not, I just included it because Triple Dent Gum is so iconic. That jingle, yeah, it's stuck in my long-term memory. I don't know about you guys, but yeah. um, just uh, two quick things I forgot that I think are also very fun. When they do go through the toll and you can see the Pizza Realm truck, they pay a troll and the sign says under bridge construction because of the whole like troll under the bridge pay the toll. I thought it was very clever. Yeah. And another Lord of the Rings one that a lot of people have pointed out that's a pretty like easy one to spot but is also fun. The soda is called Mount Doom instead of Mountain mm. Dew, but Mount Doom is from Lord of the Rings. So some really fun Lord of the Rings references. Yeah, I think um, Super Carlin Bros just mentioned that there's just so many stickers, there's so many patches, like, it will take so long for somebody to pick out all of these Easter eggs. Yeah. Um, and they also mentioned that some people have drawn some parallels with Harry Potter. I didn't really specifically see any, um, but I think it's just the fact that, like, it's magic, it's fantasy, so uh, maybe some nods just to fantasy people watch in red is like a nod to Harry Potter. Yeah, there's definitely... Like with the levitation spell specifically. Right, there's definitely specific references to Lord of the Rings. I didn't see a lot about specific Harry Potter, but also we talked about D&D, &D, there's specific references to D&D, &D, specifically um, quests of... Yeah, cube. the gelatinous of cube was... I think I read that it was originally... It was in the original D&D, &D, like, and the creator of DNA, or of DNA, of D&D, um, Gary Gygax, actually came up with the gelatinous cube. The cards, people say, are cl more closely resemble Magic the Gathering than D&D, &D, mm -hmm. but the book that um, Barley owns that he references is more similar to a D&D &D reference book. So, yeah, and I'd say that most people don't play D&D &D with, like, a board game and figurines. You, like, certainly can, as we see in Stranger Things. They play with a board and with figurines. Um, but I'd say most people either play with, like, an electronic board that they can build or a map. I know that when I played in the past, yeah, I've played D&D &D before. Um, we just kind of play with a map that we build on or that the D Dungeon Master kind of builds on throughout the campaign. Yeah. But obviously, similarities. Okay, so moving on to our next section, why Onward is canceled. Again, I want to, I, I feel like I didn't do a very good job of explaining this for the Snow White episode. So this is going to be a section that is both for jokes, but also for serious criticism of, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, you know, whatever it might be. So, and I will try to be very clear about what 
is more of a joke and what is actually a critical criticism some of them are going to be more tongue-in-cheek and then some of them are going to be more like no this was a problem that this made it to theaters like this right so most of these are jokes honestly it's it's this movie came out this year so i it's not like snow white where it's a 19 it's a movie from 1937 that we're analyzing in 2020 this is a 2020 movie that we're analyzing in 2020 i'd love to see what happens in 80 years what people cancel onward for in 80 years but i don't have that ability what were you gonna say katie were you gonna say something I mean, yeah, but I, oh, I don't sorry, sorry. No, 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 it's okay. It was not important. Okay, so this is a tongue-in-cheek one. Onward is canceled because it's not gay enough. This is my personal opinion. This is mostly a joke because Lena Waithe, who voices Spectre, one of the cops in the movie, says that... The one-eyed cop. Yeah, the Cyclops. Believe, not the, like, not the fawn. Yeah, the Cyclops. She says that uh, she has a girlfriend and... It's the scene where Barley and Ian are using the disguise spell to play Colt, and he starts, they start, uh, Ian starts freaking out, and um, Spectre, Lita Waite's character, interprets it as nervousness for being a stepfather, and she says, oh, I know exactly how you feel, my girlfriend's kid is stressing me out as well, great line, but, um, and obviously, like, you know, representation I guess but in the most bare minimum way I think I am of the opinion I don't know how your feelings Katie that it's important to have both kind of not throwaway representation but um background background representation. representation where like the struggle isn't about you know being a different kind of person but also it's important to have more main character representation as well so yeah just making it mirror like real life more right like when you go to the grocery store you very well may run into a person who is not heterosexual or a person who's not white and that's common and that happens but you also probably have friends and family who are not white not heterosexual you know kind of giving it the space to feel real as opposed to forced either in a big main character way or in just a small throwaway background reference kind of way. So I think this is important, but I also don't want to give Disney or Pixar too much credit for it. The line was originally written as husband and Lena Waithe, who is lesbian, is the one who changed the line herself. So if anyone gets credit, she should get credit for that. And also, like, it's so minimal, so background. Like I said, I think that's also important, but I don't want to give Disney Pixar too much credit for that because it's not. It's also, I feel like, something that if you really, that can be easily changed and doesn't impact the story. For example, in other countries where, um, that might not accept this, the problem is they can change that line and then get away with changing it, so. yeah. I really don't have that much to talk about. It's it's canceled because it's another movie, another Pixar movie about, like, a dead parent and about loss, which, like, almost all of them are, like, and it's not yeah. my favorite one. Like, that's, again, that's, like, mostly a joke. Like, I don't know. Um, I will say, sorry, speaking about um, it being, it ta- it, dealing with a parent who's dead, 
One thing it does not fall into is the trope of the evil step-parent, which Disney has used oh. multiple times before. Cole, like, he comes off as, like, this goofy guy that maybe, like, Ian and Barley don't love, but, like, he's not an evil step-parent, you know? I understand that, like, they're not married. It's just a boyfriend. But I think that, like, we've seen in the past that kind of the step-parent normally comes in and is like, oh, they're so evil. I hate them. But this one feels kind of more authentic to maybe, yes. like a divorce and your mother like brings a new boyfriend home and you kind of just like make fun of him behind like with your brother and like you bond over the fact that like this stranger is like in your family all of a sudden I can't I like I can't think it was more realistic I can't speak for myself because I don't have a step parent but I feel like this may be more relatable to people than the evil step parent I also can't speak to it but it very closely resembles a friend's situation i think so cool um it's also canceled because chris pratt is canceled (laughs) okay that's a little bit of a stretch that's what i'm saying like i have nothing to cancel it for so i have to stretch um chris pratt is the worst chris we can agree on that exactly i don't want to get i'm not going to talk about how it's um a cop movie but (laughs) <laughs> because I'm just not going to talk about that. I feel that. like, yeah, I also feel like the cop themes in it are not super critical to the story. Uh, like, kind yeah. of like you talked about Lena Waits. There is um, just, like, I just noticed isn't. on the last rewatch, like, how many different police officers and cops are in the movie. And I just, like, yeah. it's obviously a story device. It's important for the story. It's just really interesting to me that they play such a big part in the movie. And then we had a lot of societal unrest yeah around it this year so anyway I just thought that was interesting obviously Pixar couldn't have predicted that (laughs) this movie was you know I think what the average length in production for animated movies is like five years or something so yeah something you could predict oh one thing I I don't have any notes on this at all so this is completely off the cuff but one thing that I didn't notice until someone pointed it out is especially if you look at the like elves as a species, there seem to be different races within elves. Like, there's definitely elves that represent, like, kind of white people and elves that represent Hispanic people and elves that represent black people, which I thought was a really interesting choice. I'm not sure how to critically analyze that at all, but something I just wanted to bring up. I thought that was an interesting decision not to just make elves one race, but to definitely make distinctions between, you can, and if you look at it, you can see which elves are supposed to be white, which are supposed to be black, and which are supposed to be Hispanic, Latino. So I just thought that was an interesting thing. Yeah, I talk a little bit about the um, design of, like, all of the different species in my animation section. Cool. Um, so that's, it's not, ca- before we get- it's not canceled for that. Oh, I just wanted to bring it up, and I don't know, I don't know where else to bring it up, so. Yeah, um, so before we get to ratings, just super quickly, some part connections. Um, So I mentioned earlier that you can get Onward merch. Um, Some specific merch I've seen is you can get Barley's jean jacket or at least a jean jacket with a couple of, like, Barley's patches on it. I think that's super cool merch. Um, You can get the Willowdale sweatshirt with Lightfoot stitched into it, which I also think is super cool merch. You can get Barley's black Quest of Your shirt, um, and you can get the green Quest of Your hat that the dad wears throughout when he's just 
his legs, um, which is really interesting because the last time I was at Disney, I saw so many people, so many people might be an exaggeration, but I saw a good amount of people wearing those hats and wearing that shirt. And it took, I could not figure out what it was from. I was like, what is this? Like, what is this cue? And then I watched, when I was rewatching the movie, I saw the green hat. I'm like, that's what it was. And so I couldn't find it any Disney official merch places to get the shirt and the hat with the cue on it. But there are like secondary, I think like Hot Topic, um, places like that where you can get those merch that merch from and they also had a special popcorn bucket that was Guinevere which I thought was pretty cool I think that was leading up to the release so before the park shut down you could get that um I just I think that this movie has a lot of cool merch like the Willowdale sweatshirt I really love like subtle merch like the Q shirt, like the Q hat, like the Lightfoot sweatshirt where like I could wear around and no, and maybe some people wouldn't realize that it was Disney. I love merch like that. Um, and then, so you could have met the characters for a very short period of time um, at Disneyland in California at California Adventure on Pixar Pier, you, Ian and Barley were meeting in front of Guinevere starting March 5th. And so Disneyland closed on March 14th. So you had nine days you could have met them. And I also found that they were planning on coming to Disneyland Hong Kong. I have found no evidence that they actually made it there. Um, I didn't find a release date for them, so I assume that maybe they were supposed to come a little bit later, and then the parks closed down, and that whole thing happened. So I cannot confirm that they made an appearance in Hong Kong, but I can confirm they made an appearance in Disneyland. There's videos of people meeting and greeting them. Um, Hopefully, they'll come back. Um, There are no character meet and greets going on right now at Disney World, and Disneyland's not even open. And there was no announcement prior to the movie being released about them coming to make an appearance in Disney World at all. So who knows when that will happen or if that will happen. Um, Like I mentioned before, I think Onward really suffered on the Disney hype train just because of the circumstances of it coming out and it basically premiering like three different times. It really separated. It really drew out the hype and I think really hurt the reception of the movie. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see if they ever do make an appearance in the park it can just in general I feel like it can be hard for new characters to gain a solid foothold to stay in the parks basically full-time so yeah even if they had you know it would have been interesting to see how long they were around I don't know how they make those decisions or who makes those decisions but oh also sorry just for some clarification, they were, um, not to ruin the magic for anybody, but they were not face characters. They were, like, full-on suit characters. I don't know, fur characters? Is that what you call them? Yeah. I don't know. They were not face oh, characters. Oh, I would not them. want them to be face characters. <laughs> well, sometimes, I think there's a fine line, like, there are pros and cons of each types of character. Face characters, you can, like, actually talk with which I really enjoy like I love going to meet Gaston he's one of my favorites if you haven't met Gaston before do it he's amazing um he's leading the villains parade right now so you can still see him out and about you can't meet him right now um 
but yeah and Peter Pan is another one of those he's just a great character but I think that like meeting Baymax was one of my favorite character meet and greets I think I've ever done I loved meeting Baymax um so yeah there are pros and cons yeah Baymax was amazing also Chewbacca oh my god mm, Chewbacca is a really good one so good um I'm trying to think of other non-face characters that are good I mean obviously Mickey and Minnie like classic you can't and Goofy Goofy's actually a really fun character to meet and greet with so yeah are we ready to move on to rating ratings yeah all right let's do it so we're gonna start off with plot and story like always I don't have a ton of notes I think that to me the plot and story suffers personally for me by relying on a one too many tropes um so like there's the 16 year old like coming of age I also feel bad knocking it for this stuff because I don't see how it could work without these tropes so I Mm. I don't have any suggestions I'm sorry but so like yeah um coming of age turning 16 plus dead parent plus quest with a very specific timeline kind of in conjunction with relying on so many tropes it also has too many callbacks to other movies for me. Like, obviously, any movie that comes out today is going to have to be similar and make references to other movies, but there's some parts of the movie where it relies too heavily on that that it, like, takes me out of the actual story and original story of this movie. So a couple examples are Indiana Jones. Like, the whole Mm. section of The Invisible Bridge the solving the puzzle to avoid the booby traps and then pulling the the dad's legs through the like falling thing at the last second like it was almost distracting how similar that was to Indiana Jones for me also I don't I haven't seen this movie in forever and so it's not as distracting but the school reminds me so much of Shrek the third like does it do you know what I mean Kind of. I mean, I haven't seen that one, that movie, in so I don't long. know why, but, like, maybe it's just because it's, like, a, a school in, like, a fantasy world, but it just, like, has so many of those vibes for me. That wasn't quite as distracting. Also, just, like, in some of the videos I watched, I don't want to claim this as an original, original idea, and I should have mentioned earlier, we're going to put the sources to all the videos that we watch for this in the description so you guys can check them out, but I think it suffers for being a Pixar movie. Because you naturally want to compare it to other Pixar movies. And personally, as I've mentioned, for me, there are other Pixar movies that I connect more to that deal with the same, with the same themes. So, for example, I think Coco does a better job of dealing with death. I connect to that more than I connect to this one. And I think it Up does a better job of dealing with loss than onward again those are just like maybe my personal connections to the movies and also maybe just because those have been around longer and I've seen them but I think unfortunately it suffers for being a Pixar movie one thing that I think the movie does really well but also maybe not now that I'm thinking about it is they have great foreshadowing but I feel like I didn't catch enough of these, so maybe they didn't do a good job. I don't know. It's hard to tell now that I've watched it a couple times and because I've also watched a couple videos on it, but like specifically, I like that they referenced the Splinter 
of the staff mm-hmm. a couple like twice before the ending when the splinter is important. I think that I think that's one of the best uh, pieces of foreshadowing. Well, also within that, like he gets the splinter when he try when he's trying to do like the the enlargement charm mm-hmm. or like the enlargement spell, which is what he ends up using to use the splinter to begin with. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Um, I also think it's funny in the beginning Barley. Ma- is trying to get Ian to play Quest of Your, and he's like, oh, you could be a rogue, or you could be a wizard, and then, obviously, Barley ends up being an actual wizard, and then another one that people have pointed out is, obviously, the gelatinous cube gets mentioned a couple times, and then there's a, you know, there's a, that comes into play towards the end. Yeah, I think it get, gets mentioned three times because I think that they talk about this in the Super Carlin Bros video. They're like, the first time it was kind of like, oh, like a fun little throwaway. The second time it was like, hey, they've mentioned that before. And the third time it was like, when is the gelatinous cube going to come? Right. Like, when are we going to see on So those are obviously the, the more obvious ones. I also just really like the kind of metaphor of driving. I think that's a really relatable kind of like fear of driving and also because he's 16 so I actually like that and then another big kind of theme that that I haven't seen talked about as much that I thought was really interesting kind of like I would almost categorize this as like the secondary plot or the subplot of the movie obviously the main plot being like dealing with the loss of the parrot and then real ultimately realizing that Barley is like the father figure in his life is the kind of technology versus magic and like old ways versus new ways and I think that's a really I I wish people would talk about this more because I feel like that's really important and really interesting and I almost kind of like what are they ultimately trying to say and is it a commentary on our society like are they trying to be that overt about it I mean I don't know but it's just it's really interesting to me yeah I mean it's not uncommon for Pixar to make comments on that I mean that's what Wally is talking about like the pitfalls and downfalls of becoming like a too advanced and too technological of a society I think that at the end of the day they resolve this pretty quickly and it's not super satisfying but at the end when like they kind of are showing the mix between like Ian levitates the truck so it's like magic but also a car so I think it kind of what they're trying to say is that we need to strike a balance between keeping things simple while keeping things, like, being able to advance in ways that are beneficial for the society. Yeah, I just, I think that, unlike Wally, it's not the main plot or the main theme of the movie. Yeah, true. So it doesn't get resolved as neatly, like you said. Obviously, you know, you can see the clear message, and then even when Ian is in school, like, teaching about it, and someone asks oh you use magic to repair the school right and he's like yes I did and then someone else is like isn't that also how you messed up the school And he's like yes that's also true so I think that also kind of drives that home I just think like I said I find that storyline that that plot thread really fascinating also because it's not the main plot I I find it almost more fascinating so anyway that's just kind of my yeah I think throughout the movie maybe the smaller scope um, commentary they're making on technology and kind of the old ways of no technology is prioritizing adventure and still mm-hmm. making life fun because like we see 
Ian breaks his phone, and so his phone doesn't make it on the quest with them. They see that we see that they have to abandon Guinevere a couple times. You know, they give up that technology to have the adventure. I think that that's kind of like on a smaller scale, the commentary that they might be making is like, yes, technology is great, but like, don't forget to have that wonder about mm. life and that sense of adventure. You Definitely, know? and I think it relates to the quote that I had picked out from Ian about like quests, and even Barley mentions like. Uh, on quests you have to you know work with what you have you can't take the obvious yeah and also yeah the obvious path I think that's and it's about like how reliant we are on technology and how easy and how technology makes things too easy for us kind of yeah um yeah the last thing I wanted to mention like just because we already mentioned it is the whole like Ian doesn't see his father on in the end because I think that's important I I feel like I should have expected it because the whole time the father is just legs like he's not there they say that explicitly they're like oh it's just legs it's not so it's not about the father it's about Ian and Barley the whole time and I don't know why I thought he would see the father but it just made me so mad the first time that and even Barley who does sees him for like one minute it's just frustrating and maybe that's just me like being like really simple-minded and not like digging further into it but the fact that they go on the whole quest but again that's such a Pixar thing like the false quest and and just to compare it to up as a video I watched did like the whole point right is that and I don't want to talk about up too much but the whole point is that um you know Carl spent the whole his whole life like thinking he didn't have an adventure with Ellie but he really did and he didn't realize that until the end it's the same thing here right Ian thought he didn't have a father, but he realized in the end that it was Barley. So I... Yeah, it's very much the theme of, like, it's the journey, not the destination. Like, they literally make that so explicit. They end up back at the school that, like, the whole story basically started in. You know, like, they make it so clear that the journey is what was important and, like, the friends we made along the way (laughs) was what was important as opposed to the outcome at the end of the day but I don't know why I was so taken in by the fact that it was about the father like I don't know why I thought in the end that they would meet it especially if you just like look at the timing of the movie but maybe that's maybe that's the point of the movie more is to make us not notice the small things right and then to be okay being frustrated the at least the first time you watch it and then have to go back and like realize it more on the second and third watch so maybe that is ends up being a good point for the movie but that's all I have to say about yeah. the plot and story okay so I think that I've come to the conclusion that why I don't love this movie as much as I thought I was going to or as much as I wanted to is that I think I'm more interested in the universe that this story takes place in than the story itself And, I mean, you could credit the writers to that. I think that the world that they created is so unique and so creative that I almost am distracted by the story, if that makes sense. Like, I would love for, like, for a TV show to happen within this universe. So we see all these little stories. And I think that they try to give that to us. Like, I think they try to give that to us with Corey's side story, with the Pixies, that kind of thing, and incorporate the world into the story a little bit more but I think at the end of the day whether it's the strength of the universe or the 
weakness of the story. I am more interested in the universe than the actual story I'm watching within the universe. So I think that's kind of like overall that's how I feel about the plot. I do think that it was written incredibly well. One thing that Super Carlin Bro says is that like no line of dialogue is wasted like all of it serves a bigger picture and we talked about that with the foreshadowing and how much there is of it and kind of the larger themes I think the larger themes in this movie are super well hidden but also obvious kind of like we had the whole discussion just discovering the minute themes and things that add to the theme within the movie and how many different themes there are in this movie I think that's the strength not so much the actual story that happens to make us realize those themes and get to the themes um and I think that kind of just going back to what I was talking about how the journey is more important than the destination and how they ended up literally back at the school where they started but and so like you can kind of be lulled into this like the quest was pointless they didn't actually go anywhere they but that's not the point they like their relationship grew they both grew so much like emotionally and they grew up I think Ian especially grew up within that time. And so I think that really drives home that I think on the surface, the story slash the universe can kind of play into those like technology versus old way themes. But I think at the end of the day, the theme of this movie is that like go out and have the adventure with the people you love. I really think that that's kind of the theme of this movie and I really like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know I talked about how I don't really relate to the movie that much. And I think that's another reason why I don't love it as much as I maybe think I thought I would. Um, But it's just so creative and I love the themes. So. Those are my overall thoughts. Are we ready to give our ratings then? Yeah. Do you want to go first? You spoke first. Ah, I guess so. I feel so bad because this is really low. I just don't love the plot and the story I really don't so I gave it a four. Oh my god sorry <laughs> okay so I think that as I've talked specifically about the themes and how we've talked I've grown to love the movie more but I think that I need to remember that we're rating the plot within the movie and not the movie as a right, whole right right exactly so I'm going to go with my lower end I had before we started I had written two numbers down so I'm going to go with my lower number which is still so high compared to yours really? which is a seven. Oh wow okay that's pretty different I think that I and I know that I'm supposed to separate those things but the plot is so integral to all of the other categories like I love the characters I love the themes I love the universe and I understand that that's not really the plot but you can't separate the plot from those components if that makes sense so yeah I think I have to go with seven I feel really bad for rating it four but that's my lowest and this was my least favorite thing about the movie okay so I feel I feel better about separating it I feel like I to me, I can separate more of the story from the characters, even though you really can't, but... Yeah. Anyway, so that's into the spreadsheet officially. Oh, God. So I we'll feel like I should have gone to... with a seven. Uh, or a six, You said sorry. seven. I, I meant to say six. I meant to say six. Oh, no. Go with... I wrote down four. I wrote down these ratings right before we started recording, and so we'll see if they changed. I didn't change four is what I wrote down. Okay. Um, I just... I've... I really dislike the amount of tropes and how much it relies on other movies and I felt like that was distracting for me um and I just didn't personally connect 
I think I'm going to change mine to a six, actually. I think I'm going to officially change it to a six. Because, oh, my God. Because I just remembered something I didn't talk about on the plot in the story is how much I disliked how everything always seemed to go wrong oh, for the brothers. Yeah, you did say that. Um, you and did I didn't that. mention that, so I'd forgotten about that, but now I remembered it. I'm knocking back down to a six. Sorry. Fine. I've changed it, but no more. You can't. It's like whatever. <laughs> when you take your hand off the card, you're yeah. You can't. Sorry. Um, so, okay, what do you mean by everything goes wrong? Because I think I know what you mean, but... Well, I think that the whole, specifically, the subplot with the Pixies is, like, I really dislike that section oh, of the movie. I think that, like, yeah. Barley kind of, like, instigating them, and then the Pixies, like, chasing them down on the motorbikes, and I don't know, I think that that was just unnecessary to the plot, and at the end of the day, didn't really do anything for me. Like, I get that the bigger picture kind of at the end of the day, it was that the Pixies learned to fly again. And so there's magic coming back in the world. Yeah. But I just, I the whole chase scene on the highway, I don't love because I don't really understand the point of it. That gave me so much anxiety. The yeah. driving in this movie in general well, gave me so much anxiety. Oh my God. I couldn't. Uh, the, yeah, it's interesting. It relies on the miscommunication or the misinterpretation of the dad, which is kind of funny. But also that's another problem I had with this movie. Like for a movie where you're hiring Chris Pratt and Tom Holland and relying on their chemistry, like I thought it would be much more funny. But there's like a couple like humorous elements I really just don't like. And then overall, it's just not very funny. Yeah, so, that's also true. But we'll talk about that in the next category. So... Um, if you listen to our Snow White episode, you know that the second category was music. We actually decided not to rate onward on music and going forward, if a Pixar movie doesn't, isn't a traditional musical or even Disney movies, there's not some, we are probably not going to rate it on music. We might still talk about it, but that might just not, that just might not make it into the rating section. Yeah. So I tried my best to rate it. I looked up some stuff. So the score is by Jeff and Michael Dana. I tried to analyze the score. Personally, I love movie scores. I've watched like a documentary on movie scores before. I know a lot of composers. um, And I like even typed up some of my thoughts about the score. It like feels very Pixar. There's elements of it that remind me of like Finding Nemo and Inside Out and Coco and Up. Um, But I didn't think it stood out very well. But also it's just, like, unless you are really into movie scores even more than I am, like, maybe, like, you studied music, I just feel like we can't really rate the music. There's just not quite enough there. Yeah. Like I said, I like the score, but trying to come up with a rating between 1 and 10 for me, let alone for Katie, I think was just going to be too hard. So... We're going to rate it on emotionality or how emotional it is. So I <laughs> named this category. I, have you seen the Pixar memes that are like this, that some of every Pixar movie, it's like, what if blank had feelings? Like oh, Toy Stories, yeah, what yeah. is toys? So I said, this is what if fantasy creatures have feelings? Honestly. Um, so anyway, Katie's going to talk first. But anyway, so we're not rating it on music. We're rating it on emotionality. And stay tuned. Um, this is a category that may flip-flop. Uh, depending on what music there is to rate in the movie. Yeah, I think that, like, one of, especially in pop culture, like, Pixar movies, people are like, Pixar movies are just made to make us cry. You know, like, 
I feel like it's just a constant with Pixar movies. They're normally very emotional. So I think that that is just a better representation for us to be able to rate to get like an idea of how we feel about the actual movie than the score on some of these. So I think this is what we'll probably use most of the time if we don't use music, especially for Pixar movies, because that's like kind of their thing. So with how emotional it is, I'm going to say off the bat, I didn't cry while watching this movie. Um, Whereas I think Pixar movies kind of in recent memory I have I guess Toy Story 4 I didn't really well actually no I think I actually did cry in Toy Story 4 um but anyways I'm going to go through kind of the most emotional moments so Ian talking to his dad on the tape whereas I think that's a very emotional moment I don't think it's supposed to be super sad for the viewer I think it's supposed to be just like longing um I think that another kind of like undercover emotional moment is after Ian kind of calls Barley a screw-up like I know that he doesn't say that he said he's not a screw-up but it shows that he's lying I think that that's pretty emotional and I think that's that's not like super obviously emotional but I think it is um Ian realizing that Barley was there from the whole time and like the memory montage but again I don't know if that's sad emotional so like another reason why I didn't cry at that moment I think it was more like cathartic for Ian and then lastly oh no sorry I have two more um (laughs) bar sorry this one I added out of order most of them are in order but this one I remembered later Barley admitting the fourth memory he has of his dad I think is really emotional especially um I can't super relate to this but especially if somebody has watched a loved one in the hospital and kind of seen them not their best towards the end of their life I could see that like really hitting some people hard um but like I said I couldn't really super relate to that so it was still emotional for me to watch but it didn't hit me right in the feels and then lastly Ian watching Barley from afar um seeing his dad and I think that they a super interesting choice the animators made was that we don't even see the father's face in this moment we are with Ian in the moment we are not with Barley and I think that's super intentional and I think it was a super interesting choice to make um And I think that's supposed to be like the gut punch. I think on the surface, when people think about the emotional moment in Onward, I think it's going to be that moment. And I think that was the closest and the most emotional I was just because on the first watch, I was like upset that Ian didn't get to see his dad. But I've come around on that fact, so it wasn't as emotional the second time. Um, But that was just kind of a rundown of what I thought the most emotional moments were. Um... In my opinion, like I've already said, this was the least sad Pixar movie. Um, I'm not going to say it's the least emotional. Like, maybe it is, but there are lots of, like, raw emotions that we see happen in this movie. Um, But I think because a lot of these emotional moments aren't sad, they're more cathartic or they're more, um, like, longing or they're more kind of coming to terms with things just in comparison to other Pixar movies, I'm going to give this another six. Yeah, I I really agree with all of those. Um, The ultimate test of a Pixar movie, obviously, is if it made you cry. And yeah. I did not, and I did not cry at this one. And my bar is so low, like, I will cry at anything. So again, like, sorry to, like, beat a dead horse, but 
part of it is just my lack of personal connection to the movie. I agree with you where I think the like lasting kind of emotional gut punches is supposed to be when Ian doesn't see his dad. But even like being more specific than that, especially on um, further rewatches, I think Ian giving up his chance to meet his dad is what I resonated with most after the first watch. Like, I think the first watch, I was, again, kind of upset and annoyed that Ian doesn't meet his dad. But then upon rewatch, I think the most, the thing that resonates with me the most is Ian giving up. And speaking of sacrificing, I know this is supposed to be kind of a funny moment, but, like, Guinevere is kind of my favorite character. I know it's just a van, but, like, they, if you, like, watch it, and this, again, kind of connects to the music, like, my favorite part of the music is the, and, like, if you know anything about movie scores, like, characters typically have, like, their own theme, and, like, it might be slightly different, like, throughout the movie, but if you listen, like, Guinevere has a very distinctive musical like background to her and it's my favorite part of this score but that sacrifice also is pretty resonant but I think maybe the second most emotional moment is definitely the reveal of the fourth memory and I think like whereas again not any personal experience with that I think that people that do have personal experience with that that is like huge and that makes Ian's sacrifice even more important when he realizes that because they have so little time left with their dad, it's more important for Barley to say goodbye than for Ian to, to say hello. meet him for the first time. So I really like that. But <laughs> it's funny that yours is six. My score is also six. Again, not not necessarily because of anything Onward does wrong, just because of my lack of personal connection, again, just to reiterate, as well as ultimately we're comparing this to the other movies, right? And for me, I prefer the other movies so yeah that's kind of where my rating came from it's that I want to give myself room when we get to a Coco or when we get to an Inside Out that like I can make those tens probably (laughs) definitely okay so the next category we're not changing is characters I think overall this is one of the better aspects of the movie I think Katie has said you know stated a couple times she agrees I think one of the biggest things especially comparing it to the only other movie we've rated which is Snow White I think that all the characters show some sort of character change or character development which like now that you talked about how that's related to plot obviously that's like directly connected to the plot but I'm just going to talk about a couple things um, about the specific main four characters. Unlike Snow White, we're not going to be able to talk about every character. There's yeah. too many. So I'm not even going to talk about Colt. I have like neutral to like zero feelings on him. Yeah. I guess he also shows character development. So you can make an argument for including him. But like everyone else is like background characters. But there's so many. Like this is so different from Snow White. We have the like school, Ian's classmates. We have the Pixies. We have the other police officers officers um who even some of them get a name there's just so many so we can't talk about them all so first of all Ian obviously main character um the biggest thing I relate to him on is I also make lists when I'm stressed and just like in my life in general love that about him my favorite one of my favorite things I love how they show him sewing Mm. I think that that's like obviously it's such a small like almost throwaway moment but I don't know I just appreciate the inclusion of like non-traditionally masculine activities like I don't know I really thought that 
I really liked that. And I think that they portrayed it in this way of, like, because the mother comes home and is like, oh, I taught you so well, kind of this, like, the effect that a single mother can have on Mm. boys, especially Ian, because he never had a father in his life. Um, A real father. Sorry, real father is probably not the, like, his uh, biological father. Like, Barley Mm. was the surrogate father in his life. Um, And I think that that, I just thought that that was super, I think it was a good choice, and I think it made sense for having a single mother, you know? Yeah. I think it's funny that he's easily embarrassed by his family, and I think that's really relatable for a lot of, like, probably kids watching the movie. I think it's really sad, and I don't know how I feel about the fact that, like, they chose to make him have no friends at all. Yeah. Like, that just seems a bit unrealistic. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but obviously that's not the main point of the story, so I don't have too many gripes about that. I just feel bad for him. This is where I'm going to talk about my issue with Ian and why he annoys me more than Barley does. Obviously the whole point of the movie is Ian realizing how Barley was the father figure all along, how he shared his life with him. But for that realization, and I know there has to be some sort of contrast between that and how he interacts with Barley throughout the time we have with them, but I don't like how Ian treats him throughout the movie. Like, if you go back and look at it, one of my questions and, like, questioning the plot was, like, why didn't the Phoenix Gem work in the beginning? Like, if they really needed two, like, why did the first one not break? But if you go back and watch it, what happens is that Ian is starting to lose control of the spell, basically, like he does in the end, and Barley says, I can help, and starts running toward him, and Ian pulls away from him. And that's why the spell doesn't work in the beginning, whereas in the end, it's the opposite. Ian reaches out to Barley for help. And I, while I do like that contrast, like, that's the whole reason the gem didn't break. And also the, I know we just talked about emotion, but the scene with uh, Barley and Ian using the disguise spell and Ian clearly lying, saying that his brother isn't a screw-up, implying that he thinks his brother is a screw-up is, like, heartbreaking. yeah. I don't, like, I just, he really, and and also the scene where they stop to, at the, like, gas station or whatever, not the gas station, but, like, the rest stop or whatever it is to get soda, and that's right after that scene, and, you know, the dance party happens, and that's nice and happy, but Barley pushes back at Ian, and he's like, why aren't you listening to me? Like, why haven't we been trying any of my ideas? And Barley's like, and Ian's like, I trust you, we have been trying your ideas, but uh, but they haven't. Ian hasn't listened to anything that Barley said. So I understand, like, that's supposed to be a contrast, but I think Ian pretty badly mistreats Barley. So I also strongly relate to Ian when he is crossing the invisible bridge and he fails the first time and he's like, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dead. (laughs) I thought that that was one part of the movie I did find funny because that's, uh, that's the other thing. I forgot to talk about this in emotionality, but, and I mentioned this earlier, but I didn't think the movie was that funny. And that is another reason I knocked down the score, I think. So yeah. Do you want to talk about Ian, or do you want me to finish talking about the other ones? Um, I can talk about Ian, just because that was kind of, I, that I think that looks like the most you have to say about one of the characters, um, and I think I probably will have a lot to say about Ian and Barley as well. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I think I related a lot more to Ian. Um, I don't see myself as a very, like, type A person, um, 
and like very controlling kind of like how Ian is throughout but I dislike the chaotic energy that Barley brings and that would stress me out as a person and so I think I relate to Ian a lot more throughout the movie where I'm not feeling bad for Barley like looking back obviously in some moments it's more clear than others um but I think that their relationship is just so complex and I think that a lot of the mistreatment of Barley from Ian comes from the fact that like Ian doesn't think that Barley is taking this seriously enough where this is like Mm -hmm. Ian's life goal like he wants more than anything to do these things with his father and he thinks that like Barley is kind of preventing him from doing that so while I do acknowledge that he's not he doesn't treat Barley the best I think that justification isn't maybe the right word but like it's for a larger reason than just being mean to his brother. Like Ian thinks that Barley is an obstacle to reaching his goal. Where in reality, like Barley should be like a help to reaching the goal. They should work together to do it. Um, but anyways, um, I, I just, I think Ian was pretty, I related to him, but he wasn't a super interesting character. Mm -hmm. Kind of like his defining traits were that he was, scared like that was kind of it and that he wanted to meet his dad obviously he grew which I think is the strength of the characters in this movie like Rebecca already mentioned all of them end up at a very different place from where they started yeah um but yeah those are kind of my thoughts on Ian yeah I I really see that as the one of the largest strengths um for Barley I love it's really interesting because there's kind of you know in addition to the note, like, Ian not having friends, obviously having a lot of anxiety about school, not fitting in in school, there's the, th- like, the throwaway mention of him winning a math award that he talks to his dad, but it's funny that, like, Barley's also, like, a huge nerd as well, which is where I connected with him on that. I love that he is really unapologetic about his kind of geek culture. He's so into the quest of yore, but not only that, he's really passionate about history as well. Like, I think that's easy to miss on a first watch. You can kind of just throw him away as, like, a geek that, like, isn't smart. And, like, obviously we know he's he's taking a gap year, longest gap year ever. That was pretty funny. (laughs) But he really is passionate about learning and teaching other people about history. And obviously we see him take that to extremes and trying to protect these historic landmarks. But I actually really like that. And I kind of related to that on, like, somewhat of a level... Also, just to bring this back, I think that the fact that, and this also stems from his, like, his father figure. Like, if you go back and watch the movie, you can see many points throughout the story where Barley acts much more of a father than a brother to Ian. But I love, and you mentioned this and put it perfectly, but one of my favorite things is I love that he's not jealous of Ian when it turns out Ian's the one with magical powers and not Barley. Like, that is one of my favorite things about his character. It's just awesome. Um, Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that Barley is kind of this, like, like, untainted, pure, like, innocence almost within the movie. Like, he believes in the magic. He fully believes in the way things were and playing his game and he doesn't see anything wrong with showing up to pick up Ian in like a cape and a sword and trying to like dub him you know a grown man or whatever and I think that if somebody who 
is more practiced in psychology than me could probably like dig into the fact that he maybe he was like stunted a little bit with the tragedy mm. that happened with his father and not being able to say goodbye and he talks about the effect that that had on his life of like how he's never he'll never be scared to do anything ever again you know yeah I I really like that they explicitly show how that impacted his character and how that one moment of being afraid changed his whole perspective. And I I really, really, really like that. Unfortunately, he's not the most responsible person. (laughs) We see like the the parking tickets. Oh my God, that was stressful. And he's also just not good at driving in general. Like, I feel like Ian shouldn't learn how to drive from Barley. Um, um, well, the scene where he goes to pick up Ian from school, he's hanging out the window with both of his arms out the window while the car is moving. But kind of related to his excitement and, and completely not being jealous of Ian, the sacrifice of Guinevere, which he states earlier is the most important thing to him because he says that's the one thing he wants to show his dad. And he does that to to sacrifice that so that Ian has the chance to meet his dad but then again like that's an even though I have less of a problem with Ian not meeting his dad in the end like the fact and I like that Ian makes the sacrifice for Barley but the fact that Barley makes that sacrifice and then for Ian and then Ian doesn't get hit I don't know I that's like one thing that I don't think quite yeah but that sacrifice also happens before we learn about the fourth memory so like that's true that's true that's true um and just like a parent he's not the best (laughs) always at teaching (laughs) two of the scenes where he's trying to teach Ian magic are really funny he he just keeps repeating hearts fire and focus and it's like I can totally see the like parent slash also that's like just a family sibling thing like sometimes the people closest to you aren't always the best at teaching you things I thought that was really relatable and I liked that that they balance Barley's character well as obviously he's a father figure but like parents make mistakes too and sometimes they're too close to us to be effective <laughs> in the in every way another really touching moment that kind of shows e- um how much of a father figure barley is is after they've made it past the gelatinous cube and they're in the chamber that starts to fill up with water and then they have to get their dad dad's legs to stand on the opening <laughs> Um, if you notice, like, the, the opening starts to open up, and Barley's closer, but he reaches and takes Ian and throws him up first. I really like that part. It was really cute. So, I really like Ian. Or, sorry, I'm, oh my god. I really like Barley. I think he's really good. Yeah, I think that, like I've mentioned, Barley, I do find more annoying to me than Ian, especially in some of the moments you talked about, like when he's trying to go th- grow the gas container and he's just like, focus, focus. And Ian's like, I can't focus when you try and focus at me. Um, and I do, I do agree. Like sometimes he's not the most responsible and like, he's not a perfect human being like our elf. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's okay. Um, And I think that the strength to maybe both Ian and Barley is not them by themselves, but their relationship. Like I have a note here that you can't have, you can't, there is no one without the other. The reason 
that their dynamic and their characters grow and work is that they're together and they both push each other. And I know that that's like that happens in movies and books all the time like you can't have one character without the other but I think this is like so integral to both of their growths because they are by themselves most of the movie like obviously their father's legs are there but like is he really like he he has no impact on the events that happen for the most part so I think that I think that Barley especially I saw his strength in his relationship with Ian because I didn't like him as much as Ian to begin with um but I do love the fact that he's not resentful of Ian I think that is that was a super I know I mentioned this earlier but they could have very easily made him very resentful and they chose not to and and again sorry to like say this again but in the super carlin bros video they mentioned that like sometimes the best coaches are the people who can't they're not born with the natural ability because they had and they had to work harder and learn more to try and be better at it and I think that that's so applicable to like Barley and Ian's position like I understand Barley wasn't really trying to become a wizard but like he has all of the information because he's done the work he's put in the work and Ian has the ability and I think that's what makes him a good quote-unquote coach to Ian and a good brother to Ian yeah I think just to um, backtrack a bit and touch on the character development I think it's more obvious in Ian than in Barley and that maybe we can we even have to project character growth after the movie is ended more on Barley because you can't quite see it as much but I think the big thing comes with admitting the fourth memory and then him getting to say goodbye is kind of like his growth and then we don't see him change much because because that's like basically the end of the movie yeah I could see um I think that there is a there there's a it's healthy to be afraid of things and to not just kind of do things willy-nilly kind of like I, I feel like Barley has been living his life and so I do think that Ian could probably well I mean we do see a little bit because when they go to leave in the new truck he's like he goes to drive and Ian's the one who's like no let's use magic like let's go on an adventure so I do think that like I could see some of Ian's maybe more a traditional way of getting a job not having your car full of parking violations kind of like rubbing off on him especially after kind of getting the closure with his father yeah definitely it's just obviously you know Ian's character development is is the primary character yes. development in the movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, then I'm going to combine Laurel and Corey and even the dad. Because I forgot to mention this. I guess I probably should have done this in, like, first impressions. But the fact that the dad is legs, like, just the bottom half makes me very uncomfortable. I think that's another, like, thing that... And I probably should have talked about this, like I said, in first impressions or story. But, like, that took away from the story for me... But I understand that it's a representation that he's not an actual important character in the movie. So I don't want to talk about him as a character. Yeah. But I just thought that I feel like they should have chosen a different way to represent him. I don't know how you feel, but it just was like really weird to me and made me think about it too much. Again, kind of taking me out of the story. But talking about Laurel and Corey, when I don't have really a lot of notes, like I like both of them but I don't have strong feelings. Like, I don't love them, or I don't 
really dislike them. The one thing that I will say about Laurel is I really like that the the like surviving parent is more involved. I again not to compare this to other Pixar movies, but like in Inside Out, like obviously the parents are important, but at one point in the story, you're kind of like, what are the parents doing? Like, where are they? Um, but I love that Laurel is more of a character than a lot of times the parents can be. We see her have her own, like, secondary story and end up, like, making a friend throughout the process. And, you know, she changes in the end. She gets, like, to explore her more, like, adventurous side, you know, in developing this friendship with Corey. So that's really all I have to say about her. I just like that she's there. Um, I love her glasses. I think yeah. I, I love them so much. Um, I love kind of like you said that she got to go on her own adventure and give her that moment. Um, and I also love that she fought so hard to let her boys see their dad. Like there's yeah. a moment where she picks up the sword and she has the sword in the dragon's core and is like holding it there so that the spell works and that they have yeah. long enough to do that. I also think it was a very interesting decision by the storytellers to not really have her be a factor if she was going to see the father. Like I guess in the beginning mm. she's there like when the, when Barley's trying to do the spell and she's like this is crazy. But once they leave there's no like there's one mention of like well mom won't have time to see him. But it's yeah. not really ever brought up again and she doesn't bring it up at the final fight like and I thought that that was really interesting because I feel like if your like dead husband was going to come back to life that you would maybe be interested in like seeing them um Mm. but I think it shows that like she has kind of had the time and the maturity to move on and she did get to say goodbye where Ian didn't get to say hello and Barley didn't get to say goodbye like she got to do both of those things and that she has like put the whole situation to peace like to bed um yeah and moved on and so I thought that was really interesting because it's just, like, not something that was really discussed much. She was just like, oh, I'm, like, I'm not going to see him. Like, I feel like that was a given kind of from the beginning, basically. I agree. And I think the other thing, and we touched on this but didn't say it explicitly, is I like the fact that she goes on her own adventure or goes on her own, you know, she has her own subplot. But it's not to stop them or tell mm. them what to do. It's to help them achieve their goal and to... More than help make the sure they're safe yeah. right I like that that's her goal rather than I think in the past and I don't have a specific example sometimes the parent is more of an obstacle whereas Laurel is not a, a character that's just an obstacle she's actually a, a supporting character that's important but also ends up with her own arc so yeah I, I mean without nice. their side quest like they would not have the sword at the end to like kill dragon yeah for Corey, I really don't have much to say. She's, like, cool, but, like, I'm just so neutral. I have no opinions. Yeah, I kind of, I, I liked her. I thought she was, like, a very interesting character. I think she was kind of the one of the characters we were talking about that was, like, the more gimmicky character. Yeah. Um, like, she does get her own storyline and her own growth and her own personality, but she is kind of just, like, personality-wise a little bit more one-dimensional than the rest of the characters um and I think I I did like mention this briefly before that I think her and the pixie storyline are kind of included to show the universe more Mm -hmm. um which I very much enjoyed 
And I really like that we got to see at the end, like, her become the manticore again. And she's able to fly and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, but even as even as simple and more one-dimensional as she is, she still gets, like, an arc. Like, she grows throughout the yeah, movie. Yeah, So sure. I like that. And I really liked her frantic energy in the restaurant. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. I feel like small business owners could really relate to, yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, so for our ratings, Rebecca, would you like to go first? Yeah, I rated it a seven. Oh. <laughs> okay, that's much lower than mine is. Um, How I can rate, it be that much lower? I rated it a nine. That's not much lower. That's... I know, but I feel like mine is so close to ten. I think that even the singular gripes I have with both Ian and Barley... I think I like how well all of the characters work together. And at the end of the day, what's most important about all of them is that they all grow and have their own storylines. And I think that's the strength of the characters. Yeah. I mean, I probably could have given it an eight. I just, I had something to say about why I didn't read it an eight, but now I can't remember. I like that they show development. I just can't, like, I felt like I gave it a little bit of a lower rating just because I could only relate so much with them and because I had such more neutral feelings like after I got past the first two main characters. Like I feel like it was, I feel like if Laurel and Corey had like, if I had a bit more strong feelings or if they had a bit more dimensionality, then I could have given it an eight or a nine but just for me. Yeah, I will say that I think that what's weird about the characters in this movie is that none of these characters, like, I don't know if I could even pick a favorite character out of the four of them, and none of them are making it into my top Disney characters. Like, I don't love any of these characters singularly, which is why I mentioned that, like, together is their strength. Yeah. Which is weird, but... That's that's kind of where I was coming at, like, maybe more of a 7 or an 8 as opposed to a 9 or a 10, is, like, I wouldn't rank any of them close to the top. And even just, like, as a whole compared to other whole casts, not quite my favorite. I just, I think that part of the reason I gave it so high as well is that, like, they made the movie for me. Like, they were my Mm. favorite thing about the movie. Um, But moving on to animation. So, I think that this was a pretty good animation. I think it was, it's weird because like, it's obviously not real things. So like, it's hard to criticize it. Um, Some specific things that I thought the animation was amazing in is the opening, not the opening scene, not like the montage, but the opening scene with Ian when the alarm goes off and there's sun streaming in his bedroom. You can see like flecks of dust and stuff in the air the entire time. And I'm like, that is so beautiful. I love that. I had that written down as well, and that's, like, right before the title card comes up. Like, yeah. Like, when you see the word onward, oh, my God, the, like, oh, so good. Just, like, the sun streaming in from, like, a very specific direction to see the dust. I love that. I, um, I also love the coloring of the elves. I think that it's really interesting that they're not just, like, one shade of blue. Like, you can see, like, Ian's kind of, like, cheeks and nose are a lighter shade of blue, um, and it makes them seem more real, um it it looks like skin it's got like a yeah. translucent element and it's like, not like perfectly smooth yeah fla- like flawed yeah yeah I really enjoyed how they did that um 
like I kind of alluded to earlier, I really like how they made all the different species kind of almost have their own like character design and they were all very distinct. And I really like that they kept that like Corey looks completely different from Laurel. You know, like they're, I just, I very much enjoyed that. Also, I know that it kind of got some, like, flack for this right after the movie came out. I think I remember seeing some memes about this. Um, But the writing in the notebook that Ian does, people are like, show me a pen that when you, like, those, like, different colored ink pens that writes that well. But (laughs) Okay, I was like, what was the flack? (laughs) Um, I really liked the ink. I liked how smoothly it came out on the paper. That was super satisfying. But in a more realistic way, like the line was not always like the ink was not always perfectly distributed distributed throughout the lines he was making. Like you can see like some of them, like it's not just, you know, like when you draw with a marker, like it looks pretty even. But when you draw on a pen, it like normally doesn't. And that, that happens in the notebook. And I love that. I don't know, like, how to put into words what I'm saying, but I hope you understand. Like, there's flaws it, within the writing. It's not It looks like actual line. writing. Yes. It looks like actual handwriting. And you can also see, even in the note that I assume Barley wrote, because it's completely different handwriting from Ian, that's like, we'll be back, in his, like, very triangular writing, you can see, like, in some portions, like, there's more ink, because maybe the pen rested there for a little bit longer. And I, th- I just loved that detail. I think it was so good. Yeah, to add on to the pen because I didn't really notice this until the most recent time I watched it, but if you look at the end when he's going to, like, cross stuff off and then actually ends up checking it with, like, the red ink, which, shout out to, like, those 90s pens. I love that they they included it, that Ian has that. But you can see that the end of the writing has gotten, like, a little wet or smudged by the end of the movie because he's been carrying his notebook around with him, and I guess it got wet. Like, I don't know, maybe it should have been more wet because they were submerged in water. I don't want to think too hard about that. But you can see that the something has messed up some of the writing on the notebook, and I was like, wow, what attention to detail on that. I also want to add on to what you said. Unless you have something. Oh, no, that was all I had about the animation. Overall, I think it was good. Like, it was nothing groundbreaking. But, I mean, just with the technology they have nowadays, it looks so good. Like, Yeah. I wanted to add one thing onto the species looking distinct. I love that. But also, you could tell they fit into the world. Like, they were so cohesive. Yes. Even though the designs were so distinctive, they cohesively fit into the world, which is a criticism I had about Snow White. Mm. that I liked the style of animation, but some of the character designs were too different that they didn't fit in the same world. I think this is not, Onward does not have that problem. I think the designs are distinct, but definitely fit into the same world. Yeah, I have a hard time critiquing super new computer-generated Pixar animation. Like, I can only be so nitpicky. So, again, I'm going to rely on comparing it to others. So I thought overall the animation was really good, but just not my favorite compared to some of my all-time favorite Pixar movies like Brave, Inside Out, and Coco. Like, I mean, I can't like point to specific flaws in this animation. I just like those better. To add on to like your kind of standout animation moments, I have a couple that are different. I agree with yours though. 
the animation of sweat this sounds really weird but specifically the scene where ian goes to invite the kids from science class to his party you can see the sheen of sweat like it's not like beads of sweat or like very cartoony like it looks so real like he's just sweaty and his hands are sweaty and i'm like oh my god how did they animate that it looks so good yeah um the sky, I thought that, like, overall the design, like, kind of separating animation from the design of the world, because I think those are two different things. And also, spoiler alert, that's going to be our arbitrary category, but the sky was just beautiful. And, like, the I like when you could see the planes flying through to remind you they live in a modern fantastical world. Like, the two suns or the two moons, like, that was really fun. I said I don't have any criticisms, but I actually thought of two. So, but then, um, besides the other things we've already talked about, my other big standout was the, at the end of the movie, when Barley grabs the Phoenix gem and the curse starts to come to fruition, the, like, red smoke that comes out of the fountain and creates the dragon, like, I thought that was very, very well animated and, like, really clever. The two flaws that, and again, like, this is super nitpicky and maybe this is more of a personal preference, I didn't like the way that Ian was animated, or sorry, oh my god, I even typed it wrong this time, Jesus, that Barley was animated to grow back to his normal size, like, that was, like, really awkward for me. Yeah, it was very cartoony. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. I think that's why I didn't like it. And then also the fire. Like, I know fire and water are traditionally, like, the hard things to animate. And I don't think there was anything wrong with the animated fire that, like, burned down the Manticore's Tavern. But I just didn't think it stood out for me. So, again, those are, like, super nitpicky. I will say, um, I... The most recent time I watched it, I paid kind of a lot of attention to, like, hair for some reason. There's, mm-hmm. like, a scene, I think, when maybe Laurel's driving and, like, she's kind of frontlit. You can see, like, some flyaway hairs, like, not perfectly sitting down with the rest of her head. You can tell, like, the texture of Ian's hair is, like, very, like, coarse and thick and curly. And I like that you mm-hmm. can tell that even with blue hair. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think overall kind of like you said I don't know how adept I am and equipped I am to like criticize modern animation or any but we're gonna but we're gonna do it anyway yeah so my score was an eight okay I gave it a I originally wrote down a six but in talking about it I feel like that was too low so I'm gonna go with a seven do you want to explain this one or do you want me to oh I mean I can if yeah because you're gonna speak first um so for our arbitrary category um I think that I think for the most part we're gonna probably side on something that like we enjoyed about the movie and like mm. that we can probably easily give ten some of the time, kind of like the Snow White category. Um, just because it is arbitrary, I don't want them to like suffer from this arbitrary <laughs> category in our rankings. You know, um, make it more like even throughout the rankings. Um, but for this one, just because we've talked about it so much and it's such an integral part of the story and the movie to us is how well the world building was done and the design of the world. Yeah. We thought about a lot, like specifically I tried to come up with a lot of stuff. I thought about rating like how the magic system was done because I thought they did a pretty good job in establishing one criticism I have a lot about a one criticism I have a lot of the times about fantasy worlds is the nature of the magic system and the rules of magic. I thought they did a great job explaining, mostly because we have Barley, like, actually explaining all the rules to us. So that was yeah. one thing I thought about. I thought we could talk about how closely it's related to D&D, but I don't know that. Katie would have 
to be on her own for that. I thought about we could rate like the sibling relationship, but we talked about that a lot with plot and characters. I didn't think that was distinct enough to rate separately. And I also thought about like rating how we would go on the quest, but that seemed a little bit too silly. So we finally settled on world building. So I think I agree with Katie that the big selling point of this movie, even from Disney and Pixar themselves, based on the trailers, was the world building. And I think it lived up to the expectations. I think surface level, you could look at it and see like, oh, wow, it's great. But also, I think the reason why it's so great is that you can delve deeper and like everything is just so good and just... I think honestly my favorite thing about the movie is the concept that magic exists in this world but they still came up with technology like I don't know who thought about that but they deserve raise like that's so clever. I mean I feel like every Pixar movie you could probably rate on world building and design but this specifically I think goes above and beyond because it is not a real world so obviously not all Pixar movies take place in the real world, but a lot of them do take place in our world, right? So there's only so much creativity they can display and like coming up with the backgrounds and all the little things that you can find. But with this, I think they just had complete free reign to like make up everything and the creativity shines through this movie like just off the top of my head the city and the way like there are battlements on the buildings to like how you can see how this world developed they even show it in the opening montage to the when they go to the mountains and Raven's Point just like the landscape of the movie I already talked about how I love the animation of the sky like the beanstalks the the easter eggs and connections we talked about in the beginning with like the lord of the rings like fun things you can find like i just think they really went all out with that so i don't have anything more specific but i'm sure katie wants to add to that yeah i just i think that they did a really good job balancing kind of showing the I know this was kind of a criticism by that I was more interested in the universe, but that's like more of a me problem than like the creator's problem, I think, for the most part. Um, I think they really did a good job of like integrating the universe within this story. Like, you know how we see the unicorns in kind of the opening montage, but then they come back later. Um, Like we see the pixies and then we see them learn to fly, that kind of thing. We see the Manticore Tavern is like a very concrete it got turned into like an Applebee's kind of thing. Um, And I don't know, I think that they just did a really good job of kind of like always having it in the background, like not trying to overplay it and then downplay it when they don't need it. I think it was pretty like evenly distributed, if that like makes sense. Like it is the universe. So it shouldn't just have been like the opening montage and then didn't come back because we are focused on the story. Like it was still obvious that the story was taking place within this universe. And I think that was a strength of the storytelling and I don't know I just I think it's so creative I know that like basically Pixar's hallmark is how creative they are like what would ha- like what happens to toys when you leave the room what if cars took over the planet like that kind of thing but I think that this one like Rebecca mentioned they just had a little bit more freedom and they ran with it so I just I think that this was the selling point and the best thing about the movie yeah, I think they nailed it. I I think I would even, I know you talked about this and you maybe changed your opinion as, as we talked about the movie together, but 
I'm of the opinion that it's so good it almost does distract like a little bit too much from the story like not quite but like very close but I think that again maybe shows my lack of personal connection maybe a little bit of the weakness of the story but definitely the strength of the design so I'm gonna I had a nine written down but I've talked myself up to a 10 like I feel like I can't rate it a nine yeah and I've been mean I've been harsh on onwards so I feel bad (laughs) yeah I'm definitely giving it a 10 as well I think that we have to strike a balance in these ratings based on just like on paper how well how well we like them and how well they compare and I think this is one that kind of just like exceeds all of those categories I think the one thing that's hard to do is compare it just because we talked about how all Pixar movies are so creative but with it being my favorite thing and maybe the best thing in my opinion about this movie you know gotta give it the 10 all right, so that gives us a total score. Oh gosh, I'm nervous. I think mine's. Are you I think really? I rated mine too high. <laughs> I think oh my I'm gosh. Gonna, well, because when we come out with the rankings of all the scores, I don't know if I gave myself enough wiggle room. But whatever, don't worry about that too much. You, um, what do you think? I mean, I could probably do math super quickly. <laughs> don't do math super quickly. I mean, I think I, I got to like a forty-four. <laughs> What? It's 73. Oh, I thought it was out of 50. No, it's out of 100. We don't have 10 categories. No, we have five categories and we each rate it out of 10. Oh, I was talking about me. I was talking about oh, my rating. I don't, I don't know what your rating is. Oh. The total rating is 73. It's to- Katie, it's total, not each of our ratings. I was just saying. So... Ultimately, we're going to have more to compare it to, but comparing it to Snow White, we gave Snow White a 55. Mm. So I feel like that's pretty, like, accurate about how I feel about the movie anyway. Like, I would, if you gave me the choice between Snow White and Onward, I don't know, now I might choose Snow White just because I've watched Onward twice in the last 24 hours. But in general, like, I think I would pick Onward over Snow White, but I wouldn't be like... Let's watch Onward every week like I am about some Disney and Pixar movies. Yeah, I would agree. I think it fits well. Okay, so now that we're done with the rankings, just some kind of wrap-up things. So for our Main Street Daily News, we do have a couple of things to talk about. We're going to split Main Street Daily News, and I'm going to talk about things I want to talk about, and Katie's going to talk about things she wants to talk about. Just because there's, especially with these coming out once a month at the moment, there is just too much Disney news. yeah. Like, there have been lots of Marvel. Obviously, the Mandalorian episodes have started dropping. So, like, there's just too much. So, we're going to kind of pick and choose. I'm going to try and have, like, a section about the parks just because I have a lot of knowledge about what's going on in the parks because I watch too many Disney World vlogs. But I'm just going to talk about, like, more of the movies and international parks and just, like, stuff that I find interesting and think that you guys might find interesting. So, the first thing is I know we in general don't like the live action Disney remakes but there was a pretty big casting announcement and it's been a while now but it it made big news on my social media anyway so I thought it would be interesting to talk about is that Yara Shahidi was cast as Tinkerbell in the live action Peter Pan so I thought this was newsworthy and notable because it's the second time Disney has cast a black actress to play a character that was white in the original movie so I just think that's interesting and 
like I said, I saw a ton of news about it. Um, some people are really excited. Some people aren't. I think it's awesome. I'm of the opinion that if a person's race, specifically if they're white, isn't a part of their storyline, then um, it is totally fine, in my opinion, to change the race of for the live action. So Yeah, I mean, I... I think that this is awesome. I'm still very hesitant about the live action remakes. And yeah. I don't know how excited I guess I am about, Especially like, I'm excited for about Peter this specific Pan. announcement. See, I was going to kind of take the opposite tact. I feel like Peter Pan is a movie that isn't super popular. Like, it's not like a Beauty and the Beast where people, like, Belle being somebody's favorite princess is, like, mm, not yeah. uncommon. Like, she's a very popular favorite princess. And I think that Peter Pan has a lot of space to grow. There was a lot of problems true. with the original movie, so kind of rectifying them. And even in future remakes with Rooney Mara playing Tiger Lily and she's not a person of Native American descent, um, I think that Peter Pan, more than maybe some of the other ones, has place to grow. That's true. And maybe they have some, upon something. They have some mistakes they can rectify. Yeah. Also, I heard this recently, but in the original playbook of Peter Pan, like, the natives of Neverland weren't, like, based off of Native Americans. Like, that was yeah. something Disney chose to do. Oh, wow. I think they were non-white characters, and I think they're, unfortunately, J.M. Barry used, like, slurs when he described them, which is also not great, but it wasn't they weren't, like, supposed to be Native American, parallel to Native American. So I thought that was really interesting. So um, it's kind of unfortunate that Disney is completely to blame for that and not just the original source material. The second thing I wanted to talk about is that there's going to be a new, a pretty big new expansion at Tokyo Disneyland. They're doing their own version of New Fantasyland. So I think um, if you follow international parks you may know about the like beauty and the beast attraction that they were working at at um tokyo disneyland but that's kind of all we knew now we know there's going to be a little bit more so that's really exciting um there's also going to be a attraction featuring baymax from big hero 6 the first one so that is like really awesome there's going to be a mini style I love studio that it's in tokyo too because like San tokyo is like a mix-up of San Francisco and Tokyo, so I love that. Right? That's so cool. And um, there's going to be Minnie's Style Studio where you can meet Minnie Mouse and kind of like a Toontown-y type like place to meet characters. It looks really awesome. So it's not, it's not basically the expansion and the news what it's, was that it's not just the like Beauty and the Beast attraction, but it's a little bit more. So... I'll include the link for that if you guys want to learn more about it, or you can just, like, search Disney Tokyo expansion, but it sounds really excited. And then the last thing I have that I think is notable that I'm so excited for, again, the, so, sorry to back up a little bit, uh, this news is going to be, obviously, Disney and Disney Parks and Disney movies, but we're including Star Wars and Marvel because not only, are they, we are, not only are they owned by Disney, but, like, we like that content a lot like we're fans of of those uh studios so yeah when we find something interesting we're gonna um add it so star wars announced that there's going to be a star wars lego holiday special dropping on disney plus november 17th so really soon if not right before this episode drops 
if anyone knows the 1977 Star Wars holiday special, I guess it's kind of like a continuation of that. I have never seen it myself, but I think it's pretty easy to find on YouTube. But like, it's basically like people say it's the worst Star Wars content ever created. That it's really cringy. And basically it's like, it was an excuse to put out like a Christmas special, but in Star Wars, Christmas is called Life Day. And it's this whole like other, they created a mythology about this celebration. But anyway, I'm so excited for this Lego version because um, it's got like Rey and Poe and Finn and BB-8 and Kylo Ren and stuff in it. I'm like, oh my God, I love it. Yeah. I will definitely be watching this. Yeah, so then moving on to some park news. Um, actually, this isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to quickly mention it because it's related to Star Wars. Since the last recording, I have gone back to Disney World, and I spent significant time at Hollywood Studios because it's the best park. And I got to ride Rise of the Resistance twice, um, so just update. It's a great ride. I also got to ride Mickey Minnie Runaway Railroad. And that's also a great ride that exceeded my expectations for it. If I'm being honest with y'all, I think I had some low expectations to begin with, but it exceeded mine. It was so fun, so colorful, so cute. Very fun. Um, anyways, so as of November 6th, Christmas has come to the Disney parks or to Disney World, I should say. Uh, Magic Kingdom is now decorated. It's decorated a lot more than Magic Kingdom was decorated for Halloween. There is a Christmas tree and there are now Christmas themed cavalcades with Santa Claus and characters dressed up in their winter Christmas garb. And the Jungle Cruise is back in business for the holidays. So if you guys don't know, the Jungle Cruise at Magic Kingdom does get rebranded over the holidays as the Jingle Cruise. It's rethemed. There's new Christmas-themed jokes. jokes. Um, so that's super fun. And there's new holiday treats that are available. There's also a castle projection show that will happen every night. Um, but there are no dream lights on the castle, which is just like honestly the biggest sad face. I know. Um, so if you don't know, the dream lights are the Christmas lights that go on Cinderella's castle. And Cinderella previously got to lit them every night, light them every night, but now Elsa does it for some reason. Um, even though it's Cinderella's castle, but that's fine. But yeah, there are no dream lights. There's just like a castle projection kind of like montage. It's not even really a show. Um, but yeah, and then those will all be up and out until December 30th. On the same note, the Festival of Holidays is coming to Epcot and it's starting November 27th and will last until December 30th as well. That Currently, it's still food and wine. That is so upsetting about the Christmas lights because I know. the castle is so beautiful. Do you think it has anything to do with also just re, like, touching up the castle or no? I don't know. I don't really know what the draw, what, why not? Because it's yeah. not like the dream lights, you can do the dream lights without the show, you know? Like, you can yeah. still have them up there. And so I don't think that them having the lights on is any more of, like, a crowd gatherer than the projection mm. show is you know yeah, so I don't really I, I will say the only thing is that previously the parks had not been staying open until sunset like no unless you stayed well past park close you would not been able to see the parks lit up at night now okay. with daylight saving time savings time happening and the parks opening later like 
they are open at dark now. So I don't know if they made that call before they planned on having the parks open later. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But the on other that same thing. Note, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Just to defend Elsa here, she does have powers. So, but are we if, so, so? Are the lights? <laughs> is the lights ice? Like, is it I was going to say it depends. Like, if you're if you're saying that the lights are electrical, and Cinderella's turning them on, then like that doesn't also fit. That also doesn't fit because um, she did not have electricity the, during the time of her story. But if they're magical know. lights, if they're magical lights, then that makes sense for Elsa to do it. But anyway. I mean, that's... it's because Elsa is now more popular with the youngins than exactly. Cinderella was. That's exactly. why. Um, but again, yes. just kind of, I know I mentioned this just in passing, the park's closing times are progressively getting later. Before, I think when I went... Like, the latest park was Epcot, and that was at 9, and the rest of them were, like, 5 or 6 p.m. Now they're kind of more trending to the 7, 8, 9 p.m. for the rest. Um, previously, Magic Kingdom Safaris after dark, or sorry, Animal Kingdom Safaris after dark were not happening, and now they are again, so... That's my park news. And then for the big announcement for what our next episode is going to be about, Rebecca randomly picked Dinosaur, which is super fun because I don't know if I, like I have faith that maybe I've seen parts of this movie before, but I don't remember anything about it. I could not tell you the last time I saw it. You've seen this movie and I can't wait to talk about it. Um, I have no recollection of the events that happened in Dinosaur whatsoever, unless they're related to the ride dinosaur at Animal Kingdom. We will talk about the relationship between the two. (laughs) I definitely, I could tell you the name of the main character, and I was a dinosaur kid. (laughs) Not, I wasn't a dinosaur when I was a kid. I mean, I was into dinosaurs as a kid, like, documentaries like I watched dinosaur documentaries when I was like a child so definitely this movie came out at the like perfect time for me I was like seven or eight when it came out hugely into dinosaurs at the time I definitely watched it I remember seeing it in theaters I definitely watched it a couple times after that but I have not watched it probably in the last 10 years at all yeah so I'm super super excited to watch this one again it'll be so different yeah I was gonna say we have a very diverse first group of three movies I know I love it Thanks for bringing us the news, by the way, Kate. Oh, you're welcome. Um, And then for social media, you can follow us on Twitter at greatmovie underscore pod, on Instagram at greatmoviepod, and then you can email us anytime with your rankings and ratings of the movie. We'd love to hear that, Um, your thoughts, what you disagreed with, what you would like to add to our discussion. Um, That would mean a lot to us. You can email us at greatmoviepod at gmail.com. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Spotify and now Apple Podcasts and online at Podbean. Make sure you subscribe on your preferred platform so you don't miss any of our episodes that come out once a month. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. Yep. So thank you guys so much for listening. Have a magical day and we'll see you at the movies. Ballyhoo-wee-hoo!